Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Saskatchewan's number one sports talk show is on. And now, starting an hour earlier, welcome inside the Radio Octagon. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Here's your host, Michael Ball. Good afternoon, Saskatchewan. Wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thanks for making us part of your day. I apologize in advance for my voice, fighting a cold. I'm in the voice cracking stage, which, you know, when you're in radio and you have a cold, it's kind of like a carpenter with a sprained wrist. You try to fight through it, but you might not be as good as you normally are. But excuses are for losers. The Bengals and the Niners would be able to tell you that. The Super Bowl has said it's Kansas City and Philadelphia. The show is brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited, providing plumbing, HVAC, and irrigation supplies across Western Canada since 1892. Learn more at Sherrod.com. This is a very busy show. Lots going on, so let's get right to it with one of these. It's Sorensen to the house! A pick six! Time now for another pick six with Ballsy and friends as they give their take on six sports topics of the day. Number one on the pick six. That late hit that gave the Chiefs 15 extra yards and a 45-yard game-winning field goal try came at the end of a play that began with something that happens regularly. Offensive holding. Not being called. Chiefs tackle Orlando Brown clearly held Bengals defensive end Trey Hendrickson for like three seconds. No flag was thrown. And it happens too often. Between consistent failures to call holding and a rash of tackles starting into their pass block set a split second before the snap without being called for illegal motion, officials are making it easier for quarterbacks like Mahomes to operate by balancing out the simple fact that right now, D-linemen are bigger, faster, and stronger than most men trying to stop them from hitting the quarterback. Remember when the VP of Football Operations, Troy Vincent, admitted that officials overprotect Quarterbacks because without healthy quarterbacks, the game stinks. You know what else stinks? Missing calls. So in addition to calling ticky-tack roughing penalties when the quarterback gets hit on the sidelines like at the end of that KC game, which it's easy to stop a play and look at it and replay in a snapshot, but in full speed with the game on the line, you don't call that penalty. It's why the Chargers' Joey Bosa blew a gasket two weeks ago. It happens over and over and over again. Two thoughts on the AFC Championship game. The NFL should be a flag football league. It's becoming soft as puppy poo. Number two, NFL officiating is terrible. It's ruining the product. I hear so much about how bad CFL officiating is. My gosh, if the NFL is the league, they need to get better officials. It was one of the worst officiated games that I remember watching. 
It's the first time an NFL ref was the AFC Championship MVP. Ron Torbert and his crew should be made accountable. Chiefs coach Andy Reid will be facing the team that fired him a decade ago after 14 seasons as head coach of the Eagles. As you know, he quickly landed in Kansas City and now he'll go for his second Super Bowl win as the Eagles try to do the same thing since he left. It's also the fourth career Super Bowl for Reid. He's one in three in those games. A win in Arizona over the Eagles would surely be the sweetest one yet for the big walrus. Even though most Philly fans are clowns, I'd love to see the fly Eagles fly sort of a title. Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are definitely talented, but they are two of the most unlikable players in the NFL. As I watched Philly hammer San Francisco, two things struck me. Kyle Shanahan got his team to a game away from the Super Bowl without an NFL-quality starting quarterback. There was no better coaching job in the league this year than what Shanahan did in San Fran. And with that in mind, the other thing that struck me, quarterback Josh Johnson of the Niners shouldn't be anywhere near an NFL field as a player. The fact he's played for 13 teams in 10 years tells me Nathan Rourke has a job for life in the NFL if he wants it. Wow, that was embarrassing. Number four on the pick six, an off-season trade of Aaron Rodgers remains an option for the Green Bay Packers for a variety of reasons. A scenario that once seemed unthinkable, a Rodgers trade could be driven by financial reasons, the state of the Packers franchise, and ultimately the feelings of the team and the star quarterback. League sources believe the franchise prefers to move on from Rodgers just as it once did with Brett Favre. Now, those sources also believe that Rodgers is well aware of the Packers' feelings on the situation. He recently said on the Pat McAfee Show, that he's open to all honest and direct conversations with the Packers and that a trade wouldn't offend him and wouldn't make him feel like a victim. But he added it's all conjecture until he decides what he wants to do, meaning he could retire. Now, Rodgers is guaranteed $59.5 million this year and another $49.25 million in 2024. That is a hefty price tag, but the Jets, I think, are a quarterback away from being a contender and Rodgers' buddy Nathaniel Hackett is the new OC in New York. Yes, it's a big price tag for sure, but it's one I don't think the Jets can afford to overlook. Number five on the pick six. I got to be careful here because I'm in the broadcast industry and not everybody can do it. And there are a lot of eyes and ears on national broadcasts like the one CBS rolls out every week when covering the NFL. And when you're the top analyst and much ballyhooed, even more eyes and ears are on you. But I have to wonder, what happened to Tony Romo? He went from being a top-notch color guy who predicted the plays before they happened to a cheesy announcer who talks all the time and makes weird noises and doesn't seem very prepared now. Too many times I've heard him say, I don't know what's happening, Jim. As one person tweeted, and I agree, he sounds like Bob Saget narrating America's Funniest Home Videos now. I kind of lit up Twitter on the weekend with this statement, but I'm standing by it. Now, I'm not a snowflake. I like physicality. I watch UFC. But to me, hockey fighting is stupid. It's the only team sport that really hasn't evolved. And really the only sport not based around fighting that allows it. As one person tweeted me at the Real Ballsy, football, throw a punch, kicked out of the game. Baseball, throw a punch, out of the game too. Basketball, throw a punch, same thing. Soccer, throw a punch, see ya. Hockey, throw a punch, 
cheers, accolades, and a paycheck. I agree with that. Now, I'm not going to sit here and pretend fans go to the bathroom or get popcorn when there's a fight on. But knowing what we know now about concussions and CTE, how can we talk about player safety, then allow fighting? But ballsy, if we take fighting out of the game, who's going to protect the stars? You know who? The refs. They need to do a better job of enforcing the rules. Call them. Suspend some people. For instance, if you run McDavid, you'll be in the box. And most likely, you'll find the puck in your net. Do it again. Same thing. Do it again. You'll be out of the league. That's how you do it. Well, we need fighting. It's always been in the game. No, we don't. Time to move on. That brings to a close the pick six, but we're going overtime here, and rightfully so, with our extra point. Hockey Hall of Famer Bobby Hall has died at the age of 84. He played for the NHL Chicago Blackhawks and Hartford Whalers, as well as the WHA's Winnipeg Jets over a 23-year pro career. In 1961, he helped the Blackhawks to their first Stanley Cup in 23 years. He was the first player in league history to score more than 50 goals in a single season. He set the record of 54 in 1966 and broke it by four goals a couple of seasons later. And along with Chicago teammate Stan Makita, he helped pop Popularize the curved hockey stick blade in the NHL. His subsequent defection to the Winnipeg Jets of the WHA in 1972 was the catalyst that helped shatter the NHL's stranglehold on players. It also started the escalation of salaries that now make Hull's once record-setting million-dollar payday look like small change. Here's Bobby Hall in 2006 in a conversation he had with one of his many great stories in the CKRM control room ahead of a sportsman's dinner. I'm a 1939 model. Uh, 1949, my mother and father, we uh, got on the train from Belleville, Ontario, and went 120 miles west to Toronto Union Station, stood out in front of Maple Leaf Gardens on Carlton Street, rushed it in the rain and sleet until the doors opened, and for a buck seventy-five, my dad said, Robert, as soon as you go through that turnstile, up those stairs until the blue turns to green, and then head into the rake. And I headed into the rake, and that's when you could stand behind the blues and watch the Toronto Maple Leafs play whomever was in town at that time, and it just happened to be the Detroit Red Wings. And I went up those stairs, and I was the first one in that rink, and it was so pristine. The blue lines were so blue, the red lines so red, and those pretty usherettes in their pretty ah. blue shirt. <laughs> and you're, I... And you're, I, and I oh, your dad, your dad told you that too, right? <laughs> and I stood there with my arms outstretched, saving a spot for my mother and father, and we just happened to be standing right above the blue line that Toronto defended twice. And that would be the south end, I expect. Eddie, you knew more yeah, about yeah. it, because when they'd open the doors there in that south you were right out in College Street. But anyhow, first period, Al Rollins is in goal for Toronto. And Gordon Howe came in over the blue line and he snapped those big hands of his. And Rollins turned and fisted, fished the puck out of the net. And my dad turned to me and looked down at me and he said, Robert, when you can shoot the puck like that, you can play in this league. Well, it was just... Eight short years later, 
I was playing against Gordon Howe and Ted Lindsay had come from Detroit along with Glenn Hall and I was playing with Glenn and and, and Teddy against one Gordon Howe. There's a story I'll never forget. Just one story. Got a got a call from a Hereford customer of mine in Gull Lake, Zine Downey. Called me yesterday, Bobby. Do you know who this is? I said, Zine, how could I not know? He said, that cow I got from you, that pulled her cow, had a tremendous bull calf. And guess what? As much as I lost my wife last week, I'm coming out of the shell. I'm grabbing two or three guys, and we're coming up from Gull Lake to Regina to be at their deal with Eddie and you. So get ready for us. This could be the goon line. We don't have room on our team for goons. Push side, shoot the puck, keep your head up. Don't be like Eric Lindros. Can you imagine nine concussions? We never had helmets. We never had concussions. All we had was hangovers. Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the Mighty 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the Sports Cage. Michael Ball along with Sean Kleisinger, my great uh, producer and co-host. Time to talk. Uh, well, we want to talk to Jeremy Clark, Ryder, newly signed DB, supposed to call us. We're waiting for the call. So while we do, let's uh, chop up some other sports news from the weekend. And we will tell you that Robin Silvernagel won her third Provincial Women's Curling Championship. The North Battleford Skip guided her first-year team of Kelly Schaefer, second Sherry Just, and uh, lead Kara Thevenot to an 8-4 win over Martinville's uh, Nancy Martin in the final in Estevan. It was a big win for her. She overcame a lot off the ice. She had her son, I think, 16 months ago. His name is Colt, born September 6, uh, 2021. And, that was uh, the day before my son was born. And <clears throat> had a, n- a number of health issues, eight surgeries in total to this point, and didn't think uh, the kid would make it. So she was a little rusty. They had a last chance bond spiel in North Battleford. She got through it and ends up winning the championship. So she'll be uh, representing Saskatchewan at the uh, National Scotty. So good on her. Big congrats. Curling's kind of messed up. Jennifer Jones lives in Winnipeg. Uh, check that. She lives in Ontario, but won the... The women's mm-hmm. out of uh, Manitoba. I don't like that. And uh, uh, what's the guy's name? The the oh, what's his name? It slipped my mind. Dude lives in Winnipeg, and he won the Ontario Men's Championship. So uh, yeah, I, I, we'd have to look that up. It's slipping my. It's a famous guy. Oh, what's his name? Mike McEwen. Mike McEwen. That's it. Yeah. Good job, buddy. Yeah, yeah I Mike know Mc- my curling. So Mike McEwen lives in Winnipeg, wins Ontario. Jennifer Jones lives in Ontario and wins the Manitoba women's. Kind of messed up. I'm a traditionalist. I like it the other way, but oh well. And uh, looks like Trevor Harris. Uh, he was interviewed by, I believe it's Herb Zerkowski of the Montreal Gazette. And Trevor Harris is kind of... Laying the land or laying the uh, foundation for leaving Montreal, saying that, you know, I mean, I'd love to play for my third time playing for Jason Moss. Danny Machoch has done a good job there. But the uncertainty above in terms of negotiating with the ownership, because it's still Sid Spiegel's estate that runs the Alouettes. Gary Stern is 25% owner and 100% mouthpiece of the team. And apparently Gary Stern isn't a big fan of Trevor Harris's. So stay tuned there. That means Trevor Harris and Geno Lewis will be in Ryderville. I hope so. Could I you hope imagine so. that? We're going to 
going to talk to Coach Dickinson after five about uh, what's going on in Rider Nation in terms of free agency. I know Coach Dickey is in Montana, but he's on his way back here to Saskatchewan. Um, and uh, he will be here for what we like to call the Communication Week, where they can get a jump on talking to all the free agents, other teams. They can talk to their own whenever they want now. But other teams' free agents, it's kind of the cheat week. So uh, exciting time around there, an exciting time around here. You know that Bo Levi Mitchell came off the board, right, Zenger? So that probably yeah, changed some buddy. things for them. But hey, like I said last week, I thought Bo should have been their target, but maybe he wasn't their top target all along. Two weeks from tomorrow is yeah. free agency. Yep, and I'm going to be uh, gone. Yeah, you're gone. Huh? You'll be covering it for me. Yeah. Yep. Hey, listen, I ain't, I'm not going to wait around and get some days off here while That's I can. Right. Um, NFL. Let me get your take on what oh. you saw. Let's start with the NFC game. That was a joke of a game. How, how, like I said in the pick six, how is Josh Johnson still in the league? I don't know. The last I remember of him, he was, uh, I think it was the Los Angeles Wildcats quarterback in the 2020 version of the XFL. And like, when I was, I remember watching him then and I was thinking, like, how is this guy still on a professional football team? And then the dude runs onto the field. Yesterday, when Purdy goes down, and I'm thinking to myself, "What? He's on the 49ers? Like, yeah. why? Like, why is he in the league?" Yeah. But that game as a whole, man, that was a bad football game to watch. That NFC. But game. yeah, you have to say oh, though, you have to say God. though, it was impressive for the Eagles to run for four touchdowns against that really good defense. Yeah. Like they've got a good offensive line. That Lane Johnson with an abductor injury uh, really held up against Nick Bosa. Speaking of Bosa, his brother Joey goes to the game dressed up in 49er stuff and got absolutely uh, lit up by some fans. Although I loved how Joe's, Joey's a meathead and he probably should have walked away, but he's kind of probably a little liquored up and he. Kind of mouth back at the one fan holding the phone. Um, but here's my question. Joey Bosa, yes, it's good to support your brother. I'm in full, I fully support that. But should he be wearing San Francisco colors? He's a Los Angeles Charger. I don't like that. I think, I think it's okay. I, for me, I think I would draw the line at, him wearing his brother's jersey, I think that would be a better look. But the mm. way that he was swagged out yesterday, he had like yeah. a jacket on. Too much. That was a little bit too much You're for my char- liking. Does but- Peyton Man- did Peyton Manning in the Super Bowl dress up in a Giants jersey or something? No, he wore a suit in Diff- a box. Different personas, you know. Obviously, wow. this Joey guy is a bit of a meathead, right? So yeah. he doesn't he doesn't care. Yeah. He slaps. Yeah, on yeah he said, "I'm he rich. You're a broke bitch." That's yeah. what he said to the guy. <laughs> That's true. That's exactly what he said. Yeah. All right, not um, a good look. And um, and then the other game. Listen, Patrick Mahomes on one leg is better than most quarterbacks. Travis Kelsey with back spasms. He's the best tight end of the game. But both of them are very unlikable. And my gosh, the Kansas City Chiefs got it. Like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist guy. Oh, it's something fishy. But where there's smoke, there's fire. How in the (laughs) bloody hell do they. Yeah. Mahomes did get pushed out of bounds, but give it. It's easy to look at it on replay, and it's easy to look at it in a snapshot, a still shot. It was full speed. It's late in the game. How do you call that roughing? And at the start of that play, did you see the offensive lineman hold Hendrickson? 
Yeah, it was blatant. It wasn't called, man. That that whole game, especially the second half. Yeah, it was. The field was so tilted. It seemed like as yeah. far as the officiating went, like just watching. It on almost the couch. like it's the NFL wanted wanted. Hey, we got two African American quarterbacks for the first time ever starting in a Super Bowl. We got Andy Reid. It's the Andy Reid Bowl. His old team against his new team. Like they uh, had five downs at one point, and then they ended yeah. up having a first down on a defensive five yard holding penalty, automatic first down. Thank you. And then that wasn't even a penalty. <laughs> And yeah, they got two third downs, two third downs, and people call our league Bush League. That the NFL referees are atrocious. They're bad. They are terribly bad. They are probably the worst officials in all of professional sports, followed closely by NBA officials. Yeah, that's a tough one. Because LeBron James got ripped, and I don't like LeBron James. Oh, I like he, the Lakers. He threw a big tantrum on but the he court, did huh? get ripped, But he did get ripped off. Yeah, he got ripped off of, man, that was uh, that was a bit too much for me. He throws his arms in the air, and then he yeah. starts crying I don't on like the court. The guy. That was, but back, like, I just wanted to say also, like, the penalties that were called on, on the Bengals, but then, like, we already mentioned the missed calls. Yeah. I mean, there was blatant holdings. Oh, all game. All, all game long. Roughing the passer on Burrow that they looked the other way on. On the one punt return from uh, the Chiefs had, yeah. there was a blatant hold on the punt return yeah. that wasn't called. Like yeah. I just don't understand that. But Two very unlikable guys in Travis Kelsey and uh, also um, Patrick Mahomes. But they're great. They're otherworldly, and they get a chance at the Super Bowl. They're third in four years, so you got to give them that. We're going to take a break and be back with our 3.30 news, and on the other side, we have plenty more to go. This is the Sports. Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Your sports stickers for Bronco Plumbing and Heating, where professional service is guaranteed. They'll treat you right. Give them a call at 781-2090. Hockey Hall of Famer Bobby Hall has passed away at the age of 84. Hall was the first NHL player to score over 50 goals in a season, and his 604 goals with Chicago remain a team record. Vegas Golden Knights forward Chandler Stevenson, who we had on the sports cage a few weeks ago. He's headed to the NHL All-Star Game as an alternate replacement. The Los Angeles Chargers have agreed to terms with Kellen Moore to become their next offensive coordinator. Kellen Moore led the Dallas Cowboys offense on a four-year run that saw the offense rank inside the top ten three times. Time now for our Coach of the Week, and we're speaking with our buddy Paul Waldo, three-time Great Cup champ. Regina football royalty, as I like to say, and now he's coaching the U of S, so you've got the province covered. What, this is year number six of the U of S? Yeah, yeah, going, going on year six, yeah. What do you like about coaching? You know what, I uh, just just the fact that you, you get a chance to connect with kids, you know what I mean? I, I always kind of... I always feel like deep down I'm, I'm still a player at heart. I think as a player, when, you, when you've done it for a living, you'll, you'll always kind of feel that, that way. I guess I've been removed from the game for about six years. but So I feel like that kind of gives me a really good chance to connect with a lot of the kids and, and, and try to bring the best out of them. So I think you know that's the part that I definitely enjoy on the field the most. And, and the coaching staff, the crew is amazing. And I mean, I almost feel like I'm – Playing, but I don't have to play anymore, so it's the best. Actually, <laughs> hey, what's uh, what's the biggest challenge being a coach? Is it trying to stay relatable to these guys? Because it's different coaching uh, young kids now than back in the day when we were playing. Totally, you know. I, I think when we were playing, um, it was kind of a, it was just kind of a one mantra. You know, you were coached a certain way, and then you kind of either fit in or you you didn't. You know, and 
And that was kind of the standard. And now I think it's a lot different. I think, you know, kids are different. Um, you know, personalities are different and you, they, they all respond differently. You know, some, you gotta, you gotta, you know, light a fire under their ass and others, you kind of got to coddle them. Right. So it just kind of depends on the different type of personalities. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's your job to coach them. And that's, that's what the coaching part of it is to find a way in, in, in which they respond and you can get the, the most out of them. You know, so. you weren't the biggest guy. You, I don't think you were even 170 pounds, even when you played with the riders in the Alouettes. So uh, being studious, was that always part of your, uh, your repertoire and how much has that helped you in coaching? Oh, absolutely. I, I think, I mean, understanding, you know, not only, you know, the scheme and what you were trying to do kind of week in and week out, but obviously knowing what the, what the opponent is doing. And, and then even older you get, you know, you, you don't move the way you did. So I, I, you know, you just, you remember going into, you know, your six and your seven and your eight, I think you, um, you're just a lot more studious and, and you understand the game better. And it puts you in, in certain positions to, to, to kind of maximize everything because when you, when you're a guy like me and you, you know, you're not the biggest guy out there and, 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 and not the fastest either. You, you got to get crafty. You got to be smart. You got to understand your awareness and, 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 you know, you got to be tough and you got to be able to, to, to make plays and kind of overcompensate for, for the skill sets maybe that you lack. So for mm-hmm. sure. So uh, we'll give him a plug. He's at Royal LePage, Paul Waldo and his team, uh, 306-502-5355. So lastly, uh, how does the coaching translate to the real estate game? Cause I think you got to study and do a lot of things there too. Very, very similar. You know, obviously understanding, you know, the market and obviously knowing what, you know, things like interest rates are and, and knowing your inventory. And then it just kind of goes back to what I was telling you, you know, the two, you know, between the sport and the, and the industry are very co-relatable, um, you know, going to even dealing with buyers per se, you know, or different clients or, um, you know, they're, they're not all the same either. You know, some like things done a certain way and, you know, some, some need more attention and want to be up, you know, kept up to date, you know, hourly sometimes. And you, and you have others that are a little bit more relaxed and more reserved and, and, you know, are, are on the opposite end of it. So just like I said, it's getting, getting to know, um, you know, your clientele and, and what, what they like and, and how they like things to be done. And um, they're very, very similar, very relatable. And then, Obviously, just dealing with the adversity of things not always going the way you planned it. You know, things tend to go sideways sometimes. You know, whether you're on the football field or all you're working on a deal. And that's Paul Waldo, our coach of the week. Where Saskatchewan sports fans come to talk. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. We're your voice of Rough Riders football. Just ahead of a talk with Jeremy Clark here, one of the uh, defensive backs who just resigned with the team. The Grey Cup Festival Legacy Grant Program is launched. It will help establish and support projects and programs across the province in areas of youth, healthy lifestyles, and mental health. Saskatchewan municipalities, indigenous communities, and registered charitable organizations invited to apply for funding with up to 50000 available per grant. The Grey Cup Festival Legacy Grant Program, one aspect of the legacy of the Grey Cup just rolled through town here uh, last November. The full impact of the festival alongside the winners of the grant program will be announced later in the spring. Go to Riderville.com for more information. Okay, let's head out on the Western Pizza Hotline. Get it hot, get it fast at Western Pizza and talk with Riders defensive back Jeremy Clark. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Thanks for being patient and waiting on hold. Oh, thanks for having me. Awesome, man. So you re-signed with the team. Uh, tell us the reasoning behind that. What do you like about the organization and, I guess, Regina and Saskatchewan that made you want to be back here? Yeah, I think it was more of the uh, 
just how fun I had, how much fun I had playing out there. It was just like I felt like a kid again playing the game. So that when I got an opportunity to resign, it was just a immediate yes. Yeah. So you're Michigan yeah. Wolver, you're Michigan Wolverine, if I'm not mistaken. So. Uh, th- a lot of guys that come from the state says this uh, this area, this team, the stadium, everybody around it, it really has a collegiate feel to it. Did you did you feel that way? Yeah, definitely. After getting um, to go to the other stadiums, I really got to notice it because I was feeling like the home games were like the most packed and the loudest games. Whenever we were on the road, it just wasn't the same atmosphere. So I definitely know what those guys are talking about. So, uh, Jeremy Clark, what do you like about our game, the CFL? I imagine coming here as a defensive back, there's a lot to grasp in terms of the motion and everything like that. If you think it's hard to play D-back in American football, it's even harder in the CFL. Yeah, it's, it's definitely different with the waggle coming at you before the ball is snapped and everything, and how wider the field is. But I think I just like how faster the game is. It's just like, you know, the American football is just a lot of play, then stop, play, and then stop. But with our game, I feel like the pace is just a lot more faster. It's just a faster tempo. Do you describe it to your friends back home and try to put into words just how um, how great it is? Because I, I sometimes think when we're here in Canada and we've watched it our, our whole lives, we maybe don't appreciate the athleticism that's needed. Like these are this league's no joke. We got some big time players in this league. Like you look at a Eugene Lewis on the offensive side of the ball, or a, you know a, a Brian Burnham in BC, or even a Duke Williams or a Kean Schaefer Baker on your team. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the guys where I'm from, they they pretty much know because um, we even had, I think, some of their like fathers and stuff played in the CFL. So it really wasn't too much of explaining I had to do. Everybody already kind of knew that the athletes up there were, were very good as well. So it, it wasn't like they were t- totally foreign to it. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a lot I had to do. What did you know about the CFL before he came here, Jeremy? Um, I actually didn't know. The only thing I think I did know was that the um, – the waggle, just just seeing the clips of the people running towards the line of scrimmage before the play and stuff like that. That's the only thing I, I really knew for a fact. Yeah. Uh, so, about the game. so talk about your season last year. You had a really good season, uh, kind of a breakout season for you. Just to talk about that season, even though the, the team success, which you all strive for, wasn't there. Just your your season personally, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, I just felt like, uh, like you said, it was kind of a breakout season. But the year before that, I really didn't get as much time to play. And I just felt like, the more time that I got, it was just the more productive I got to show the coaches I can be and stuff like that. And the more situations I was put in to make plays and, and, and just show up on film. So I'm just thankful that I had more chances, you know, just more playing time. All right. So uh, in terms of what you got to do next year to take your game to the next level, what, what do you want to improve on going into 2023? Yeah, I would definitely say more film study, just getting a more – better breakdown of the, the opposing teams. I, I feel like I did last year, but just to take it to the next level, I think that's what you, what, what I'm really going to tone in on this year. What do you uh, what do you like about Jason Shiver's defense and your role in that defense? Um, I just like that you guys got you, – if you're in the defense, you got to just know how to play almost every position because he moves guys around. He puts everybody in di- different situations to, to cause confusion to the opposing qu- quarterback. So I think just the versatility is one of the main things I really like about his defense. Jeremy, in your opinion, I've had guys on here in the last week or so, Shaq being one of them, uh, Mason Fine. Where did 
where do you think this season went wrong for this team? You guys were four and one and things were cooking and then it just you could never get it back on track. Was there one thing you could put your your finger on? Uh, it's hard to just point out one thing. I I really couldn't do that. It's just like I've been a part of multiple seasons, and it was just one of those seasons. It just started out hot, and then we just really couldn't get it going. It's it's hard to just pinpoint something to blame it on, but like I said, I've been on multiple multiple teams like that, and it's just one of those seasons. Yeah, so uh, because people are panicking around here. Any fans get mad when it doesn't go the way you think, especially when you're hosting a Grey Cup. They'd like to see your team have a chance to play in the Grey Cup, and that never did materialize. So I get their angst. But, you know, there's always the saying, it's never as good as you think it is, and it's never as bad as you think it is. So when re-signing here, Jeremy, do you you have that feeling that, hey, if we can just, uh, you know, tinker a little bit here and things go our way, we're not that far away? Oh, yeah, there's not a doubt in my mind that we can get this whole thing turned around this upcoming season. It's like, not that I doubted anybody on the team or on the coaching staff like that. I just, like I said, I think it was just one of those seasons where we were just struggling, but I have no doubt that next year it'll be different. How do you deal with stress or maybe when you, because, you know, especially being a defensive back, you got you, you got to take that play, good or bad, and put it aside and go to the next play. How do you deal with stress and how do you deal with uh, maybe a lack of confidence sometimes, Jeremy? Yeah, well, in those situations, I think that's when your teammates are, are really valuable. They come in, they lift you up. We've all had those games where something happened and then we were just down on ourselves. And then oftentimes it's the, your, your teammates that's coming to pick you up. So just being in a room full of guys like full of guys like that is, is always the number one thing to me. And so who was that for you? Who did you lean on as a teammate? Uh, all of my DBs. When, when after a play or or when we come to the sideline, all of us just huddle up and then it's just like our little brotherhood in there. Any of them, I'll just leave on. It's yeah. not a specific one. So Mike Adam is, uh, we had him on, and he uh, would like to play one more year. We know how his season ended, unfortunately. Nobody wants their their season or career to end like that. <clears throat> how big of a leader is he on the field for you? Almost like a coach, I would assume. Yeah, he's, a, like you said, almost like a coach. He's been playing the game for so long, it's, it's almost like he has all the answers to the test. Whenever we need something, we'll just turn back and look at him, and he'll get whoever is struggling to get lined up. He'll get them lined up. So it, it's definitely good to have a guy like that in the secondary. Like I said, when when everything's hitting the ceiling, man, we just need a guy like that to, to tone us down, and, and that's usually him. Okay, so you've been in the league a couple of years now. Your favorite city—you didn't play much your first year. Played more this year. Your favorite city to go visit besides Regina? Like, what was your favorite road city to go to? Skill testing question, eh? Vancouver? Did you like Vancouver? How about that? I actually did. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that. Yeah, I had to go with them. Yeah, Vancouver. Well, you went to Calgary and it was cold, so nobody really wants to go out when it's cold. Yeah, that's not I can't remember. Were you in that Atlantic Canada game? Did you get a chance to go down east for that Atlantic game in yeah, Halifax? I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. So are you pretty That you, was a cool place too, but I, I think I still pick Vancouver. Yeah. Well, guess what? If you you know knock on wood you're healthy and 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 kicking some butt. That's going to be an interesting stretch cuz you guys got a game Saturday, I think the 22nd of July in Vancouver, and then you got to travel right across the country and play uh, again in the Atlantic Canada game. That you'll get to see either side of the country in a week. Yeah, that's going to be crazy. You're going to have to get a rest back that week. Yeah. So uh, who's your, uh, as of last year, who was your roommate on the road, Jeremy? 
Oh, AJ Allen. AJ. Oh, yeah, we had AJ on too. He's a good young Canadian guy. So, do you get pick of the bed, or does he take the first pick of the bed? Oh yeah, I usually get pick. Yeah, of the bed. He, and then uh, he's usually the second guy to come in the room, so I'm already set up. Oh. Okay, <laughs> okay. So who gets who gets like uh, who gets choice of the remote control? Do you get your hands on the remote control, or do you guys share? How does that work? Yeah, it, it's usually me. I get the, my hands on a remote control, but to to his credit, we usually want to watch the same thing. We usually throw a game on, so yeah. it's not too much fighting over it. Like another CFL game or a college football game, something like that. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, uh, thanks for your time, Jeremy. I really appreciate it. Nice to have you back in Ryder Green and White, and I can't wait to call your name this year during the season, okay? Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That's the former Michigan Wolverine, Jeremy Clark, resigning with your Rough Riders heading into his third season. We'll take you back to the Brand Center last night where the Pats fell 6-4 to the Medicine Hat Tigers next in the Sports Cage here on 620 CKRM. Our house is your house. Welcome inside the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Back to Bernard at the midpoint, walking to the circle. Nice little move to the high slot, shoots, scores! <laughs> wow! Here's Folzel, can't poke it out. Lindstrom intercepts, it's a 3 on 0 for Medicine Hat. To the net, Lindstrom, great right pass, saved by Drew Sim. Massive stop, and here come the Pats the other way. Sues the left at center. Right side over the Medicine Hat line in the slot for Folzel. Back across, looking for a deflection and stop. Rebound, but Art scores! Back hands it across to Bash. A nice move in the slot. He shoots that one wide. Rebound, scores. Medicine Hat is down by one. Top of the right circle, centered in front to Bayman. Tight and a great save. Spread eagle stop by Drew Sip. Now Boncharov to center. Now taken away by Bedard. How did he make that pass to Rowan over the line? Two on one. Left side, scores! Sues the leb behind the net, tries the Michigan, and it stopped off the goaltender's mask. How did he do that? He'll backhand it to the line for Berg. Now Bateman, left point, a shot deflected, scores! Hat trick, Potter And poke it through the defense, he's all alone, he scores! Andrew Basha makes a drag move, lost it as it's poked off his stick down the ice, out of the penalty box, here comes Bain to the net, and a great diving play by Feist to take him off the puck. The lean in front, centers it in front, and a good block by Feist again. Flap shot, scores! Bogdan's hot ass off the faceoff in the Regina zone, won by the Tigers. Midpoint, hot ass, scores from the line, and the Tigers have tied it up at four, his second of the night. Right side stops up at the board, centers it in front, Mercik to the net, he scores! And the Tigers have taken a 5-4 to four lead. Opportunity for Bame on the empty net, left side, he's got a breakaway, and he'll put this one away with one second left. Tigers up 6-4, and they'll win this one. We're now pleased to be joined with Pat's assistant coach, Brad Haroff, after an unfortunate 6-4 loss for the Pats to the Tigers. And Brad, Al and I were just talking about this. After the first period in which you guys looked like we're in full control of this hockey game, did you anticipate kind of a, a bit of a pushback from Medicine Hat uh, in the second and third period like we saw? Um, honestly, truthfully, I was surprised we were up to nothing the way we were playing. I thought Medicine Hat, I thought Drew Sin once again was yeah. holding us in that hockey game. I thought we were very lucky to be up to nothing. Um, so yeah, I thought Medicine Hat was going to be coming hard. They play a very consistent game and have been doing that here for the last uh, month. They've been one of the better teams in our conference here, in the top three in the conference actually with the record. Um, being what it is, uh, we knew what to expect and they came all night at us and it, it was a slow burn for me from the first period. Uh, first period we were very lucky to be up to nothing and I just can't repeat that enough. 
Yeah, uh, I, I noticed that uh, a lot of flow through neutral ice. I thought uh, they came up hard through neutral ice. They were able to get there without too much obstruction. And then when they hit your blue line at full speed, it'll put a lot of pressure on your D-man, a lot of pressure on Drew Sim. And, uh, you know, is there something that you were trying to combat that with or is just, you know, you just couldn't get it today? Well, I think that's naturally, you know, we're uh, that's naturally um, part of our game. We're a really good team off the rush. We love to create offense off the rush, and we can. We can do it with the best of them. I think the week off uh, really uh, hurt our execution and our passing on those opportunities, Al. Um, but I thought our thought process of the time and what we were doing in our decision-making was uh, just bad. You know, you're, you're going to have bad passes sometimes, but when you're consistently having a bad thought process and what area of the game and what to do with the puck at that time, uh, it's just irresponsible hockey. And we were playing irresponsible hockey for the most of the night, and it caught up to us. Yeah, I, I, oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead, I, I agree with you 100%. To me, it just looked like you're... It could have been a lot simpler game for you at times, and that would have probably made it a lot better. Yeah, and that's exactly like there was. Uh, it was a real entertaining, you know, game for the fans, but there wasn't very many cycles. You know, there wasn't very many body checks and four checks, and um, and we weren't slowing them down, and they weren't slowing us down either. But uh, in the end, they're out shooting us. I think we had three shots there in the second period, and um, you know, just defensively, we were all right, but uh, just our decision-making with the puck, the transition game in which we played into their hand, they're a heavy transition team that they want to play into, and we played into it. And obviously, it's a quick turnaround from your group, a travel day tomorrow, then you take on Red Deer, Calgary, Lethbridge, Medicine Hat again. Uh, do you think this is a good learning experience for the group, uh, maybe some teaching points for this team going forward? 100%. Uh, this has to be one of those losses in the season to kind of look back and say, you know, what are we made of, and how are we going to learn from this? And that's the only thing you can do from this game is learn, uh, learn what it takes. Uh, you know, um, we do have guys out, and we felt like we could have won that game. Yeah. And when we you know if we're playing our best hockey and we're a fully healthy team, like you know, we feel real comfortable about our game and and about how we can do it with anybody in this league right now. But uh, just finding that consistency uh, night in, night out. And obviously, Connor Bedard did what he did tonight in terms of four points and three goals. But Zane Rowan was able to get his second goal of the season. You guys put him out there as the extra attacker. How much confidence did you have in Zane Rowan's game throughout this hockey game? Well, I thought Zane was. Uh, that's not always my decision, but uh, you know, I think Zane Rowan is. Uh, was one of his best games of the year and we're just yeah. looking for a spark uh, a lot of it was just been bad karma at that point for us uh, we needed something that was doing that was something that was going good for us and yeah yeah just wasn't what wasn't for it um brad last thing before i let you go you talked about drew sim i i said to al i think midway through the second shortly towards the third period that he he's on his way to being named first star and he played fabulous in this hockey game. He had to face 39 shots, 23 of those shots coming in the third period of play. I know this, like, it's, it's, it's annoying for me because I love the stats, but I know the stats don't speak for his play, but I want you to talk about his play on how the stats don't speak for his play because he makes really big saves on key points throughout the game so far. Yeah, and that's, I think the biggest thing with him is that you want a goal that gives you a chance to win, and that's what Drew's been doing this year for us, you know, on a consistent basis. He's been uh, better than the guy across from or as as equal, and yeah. uh, that's what you need to go in this league. And then it comes up to your players and how the players, you know, execute in front of them. But a lot of it starts in net and just trying to be better than the guy across from you. All right. Uh, thanks to 
Al Dumba and Dante DeCarry, their post-game chat with Brad Haroff, assistant coach of the Pats. They lost 6-4 to Medicine Hat yesterday. Got some texts at 936-6262. Our text line powered by Capital Ford Lincoln. Keep them coming, good or bad. Got people fired up. They don't like some of our takes, but they listen to the show. Like Brandon, as a Chiefs fan, I really dislike your take on the AFC final, and my son is a Bills fan, so he doesn't love Kelsey or Mahomes, but to say Mahomes is hated is a little much. Didn't say he was hated. Said he was one of the more unlikable players in the NFL. He is. He's a goofball, in my opinion. Yes. He uh, he is just that little... T- he's a great player, don't get me wrong. He is the best player in the league in terms of quarterbacking. There's no doubt about it. Not arguing that. But his... Uh, his act yesterday after the game, shooting his mouth off, a uh, little too much. And, yeah, okay, we know you're hurt. You know, quit stumbling around like your leg's almost going to get cut off. I just don't like his persona. But he is, rubs me wrong. He's more likable than his than Travis Kelsey. Did he think he was the rock on the stage? Yeah, he did. Tell the, tell the Cincinnati mayor to know his role, you jabroni. Shut up. Yeah. Kelsey, you're the best tight end in football, but you're also a goofball. Anyway, Brandon goes on to say, I think Herbert's no prize pig, but I don't run him down. Uh, down. Still love the show, and you can have your opinion. I'll have mine, and I won't hold your crazy one against you. Uh, that fiery opinion for the riders is why I love you. So uh, there you go. Uh, thanks, Brandon. I appreciate it. We can respect each other, even yeah, though we I don't res- like I each other's opinion. You, but Herbert is not... Uh, a goofball. Like, he doesn't shoot his mouth off. Herbert is a quiet guy. He's a professional. Is he Mahomes in terms of playing? No. But uh, Mahomes, definitely uh, arrogant. His brother, have you seen his brother on socials? His brother yeah, is a hundred times worse. How about that embellishment that Patrick Mahomes pulled on that push out of bounds? Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> give, well, give me a break. It, I, listen, it is a penalty, I guess. Uh, but come on. In that... People are jumping all over the guy from Cincinnati. It's full speed. They're running 100 miles an hour. It's for the AFC freaking championship and a time to go to the Super Bowl. He pushes the guy out of bounds. You can't Did call you that see penalty. his teammate yelling at him in the locker room I know. after the game? Oh, I know. my God. Is that Gaines or whatever? That's yeah. a lonely soul. Yeah, no kidding. It's going to be a long... Uh, it was a long ride back to Cincinnati. All right, we're going to take a break. That's it for the first hour of the show. Coming up, we got lots to go here on the sports cage right out of the gate. Arash Madani, and we'll hear from Tim Peel too. It's the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. RM is proud to be the official radio partner of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and your home for the hottest sports talk anywhere. This is the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. Hour two of the show, let's get after it. Brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited, providing plumbing, HVAC, and irrigation supplies across Western Canada since 1892. Learn more at Sherrod.com. All our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. Get it hot, get it fast at Western Pizza. We'll get to that in a second, but... We do want to uh, go to our text line, which is powered by Capital Ford. Link, it's more texts are rolling in. Holy crap, you guys. Who peed in your cornflakes this morning? Quit whining. Chiefs had two touchdowns called back, lost three or four receivers, played three rookies in the defensive backfield. First touchdown called back because turns out he didn't catch the ball. Um, Asai called on roughing because he shoved Mahomes and out of bounds, period. It's roughing. Get over it. Go, Chiefs. Yours. 
in football, John from Kincaid. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but he didn't catch the ball. That's the way yeah, it goes. If you don't exa- catch the ball, you exactly, don't get the touchdown. That's exactly it. And most of that is factual. <laughs> I mean, hey, credit the Kansas City Chiefs. They had to put themselves in position to win. But still, the refs helped them big time. First time a ref's been an AFC Championship MVP, Ron Torbert. And we got this from TC and Medicine Hat. TC and Medicine Hat says, Dudes, Sunday, February 5th, the season starts legal tampering, a.k.a. a business baby. Throw all the money at Trevor Harris. Thanks, TC, for being a regular listener and fan of the Rough Riders. Let's head out on the Western Pizza Hotline for this. Time now for Coast to Coast with Arashma Danny, our weekly chat with a guy who has covered it all. From Hockey Night in Canada, the Olympics, World Series Baseball, and everything in between, this is Coast to Coast with Arashma Danny. All right, Arash, we got a busy show, so we got to get right to it. Let's get to the CFL news. You kind of drew my attention to this. Trevor Harris basically signaling he's going to free agency because of the dysfunction in Montreal. Well, I mean, Balzi, we've talked about this for how long now? How many weeks? How many months? When you have uncertainty in ownership, when you don't know what is what the whole landscape is going to look like moving forward, this is what's going to happen. And Randy Ambrosi is messaged up saying, oh, I've spoken with, uh, you know, with, with the family and with the trust and, and everything's moving forward. No, it's not. Gino Lewis has said he's going to free agency. Uh, some terrific reporting from our friend Herb Zerkowski, who spoke with Trevor Harris. And Harris is saying, uh, I don't know what's happening here. Danny Machocha is not talking to the media right now. This, this is not a five alarm bell fire. But I tell you what, there's two fire trucks outside right now, and while things are burning, no one's doing a thing about it. Good point. Hey, speaking of a grease fire, that NFL officiating yesterday in that game with the Kansas City Chiefs and the Cincinnati Bengals was a five-alarm fire. That was absolutely awful. That was terrible. If that happened in the CFL, everybody would be calling us Bush League. That is an embarrassment, and NFL officiating ruins that product. I agree on... On what you're saying. But I heard the beginning of the segment. I'm going to take pause on one thing you said. Mm-hmm. The officials are not why Cincinnati lost. And I'll tell you this. With two minutes to go in a tie game, the ball was in Joe Burrow's hands. After everything that went down in that game. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening, the Bengals then absolute coaching malpractice. The last thing you do with less than a minute to go in Casey with a timeout, there's only one thing you don't do in that situation. You don't go line drive middle. It's effectively on a 3-0 pitch, putting a 92-mile-an-hour fastball right down the pipe for Aaron Judge. You just don't do that. And what, you know, as bad as the roughing the passer, the out-of-bounds play was by 58, by Osei, Guess what? The return by Sky Moore was double the distance of the penalty. When you line drive a punt that way in a field where field position matters, so what that had to be is either you angle it out of bounds or you kick it into the sky and hope for a fair catch. To which I reply, Arash Madani, go watch that play again. There was a block in the back, a clear block in the back. The Cincinnati gunner was pushed down by two KC guys, went on, went unnoticed. And on the roughing the passer penalty, the Orlando Brown 
was holding Hendrickson for like a bear hug. It looked like a mm-hmm. belly. It looked like a belly to back suplex. So you're right. Mahomes did a great job on one leg with all these injuries and everything. Take nothing away, but the refing was absolutely stunningly it was atrocious. Dreadful. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it was. And it we was. Got, There's no question. We got about two minutes left. I'm sorry because I got to fit in a Dave Albright interview, the former Ryder right. linebacker that passed away, and I did the. I think I did the last interview with him a few years ago. Um, but I want to bring up this 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 uh, 49er Eagles game. If mm-hmm. Josh Johnson can be in a league for 10 years, 13 different teams, his third go around with the 49ers, then Nathan Rourke is going to have a job in the NFL for the rest of his life. <laughs> um, I, I'm not quite sure those are apples and apples and apples and oranges, but I hear what you're saying. Uh, you know what I'd love to know, and we probably never will, how many snaps do you think in practice Josh Johnson took during his time in San Francisco? Three more than he should have gotten. Right. <laughs> I mean, we were just robbed. I mean, that could have been a hell of a game. And what was amazing about that game is that it was a, you know, it was a one touchdown game. It was 7 nothing for the longest time. It was within striking distance just San Francisco as I like to say, Baldy showed up to a gunfight with a spoon. Yeah. Well, uh, I know we're early. Uh, we're two weeks out. Anything can happen. I know you're going to the Super Bowl, so we'll have you on location. Right now, if you force me to bet, Philadelphia smashes Kansas City. I like Philadelphia, too. I think Philadelphia has the most talent. I think Philadelphia has has an incredible quarterback who can do incredible things without a high ankle sprain. And I think Philadelphia has the better receiving core. And I think Philadelphia has the most talent on the roster. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, man. It's always inter- it's always entertaining. I always love your insight. Sorry it's a short one today, but hey, it leaves us wanting more on Thursday. Thanks for your time, Arash. Thanks, Baldy. That's Arash Madani, coast to coast. And it's brought to you by Smart Investing Solutions. Give Brian Golly a call if you want to be smart with your money. We'll come back and remember uh, Dave Albright next on the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Usually on Wednesdays, we take a walk down memory lane. We call it Where Are They Now? Wednesday, we talk to somebody in the world of sports that helped to build the game either as a player, a coach, or a builder off the field, off the playing surface. This guy had the... Rider record for most tackles in a season with 118 till Darnell Sankey broke it this year. This guy was battered and beaten in the 89 season, but came back in the playoffs, had an interception of Danny Baird in the West semifinal, then one of the famous touchdowns in Rough Rider history, the scoop and score after... Eddie Lowe smoked Tracy Ham on the backside. He scooped it up 62 yards. Oh, let me tell you about Dave Albright. And uh, Dave unfortunately passed away this past weekend, I think Friday at the age of 63 from a heart attack. I believe this is, I haven't seen anywhere, the old Google machine. I think this might be the last interview media-wise in Saskatchewan Dave Albright did. I caught up with him 2019. It was the 30th anniversary of that 89 Grey Cup. So I thought it'd be nice to take a, uh, a few minutes to remember Dave Albright in his own words. Where do we find you today, Dave? Uh, Redondo Beach, California. I'm a school teacher. I uh, work with kids with learning disabilities, uh, middle school age, like grades 6, 7, and 8. 
Cool. Hey, what do you find rewarding about being a school teacher, especially, uh, you know, teaching kids with learning disabilities? Oh, you know, I enjoy being around children. I have two kids of my own, so, uh, uh, you know, it's it's, it's nice to be around the kids, and, uh, you know, they have lots of energy, and I enjoy the job. It also gives me an opportunity to have uh, most of the same time off that my kids do from school, so it works out well. How how did Dave Albright make it to Saskatchewan and become a Rough Rider? Take us back in time. Oh, gosh. Um, I played college ball. I was born and raised in uh, Oakland, California, and played uh, college ball at San Jose State University. And then uh, from San Jose State University, I started out in the old USFL. I played with the uh, Memphis Showboats in the USFL with some great players, such as Reggie White played with the Memphis Showboats while I was there. Um, That league was only around for a couple, two or three years, um, and then it went out of existence, and so I had an opportunity to sign with a couple of teams in the NFL, but um, their training camps and season was just getting started, so I would have had to wait for the next year, and I actually, um, there was a scout with the Memphis Showboats that was, I believe, played in college with Jack Goda, who was the coach of the Rough Riders at that time, so... He suggested to the coach uh, that maybe he take a look at me, and next thing you know, there was a phone call and an opportunity to go up to Saskatchewan. So in 1986, I joined the Riders probably six or seven weeks into the season. Yeah. What were your initial thoughts when you got up here to Regina and just, uh, just the stadium, the surroundings? What were your initial thoughts? Well, when I got to Regina, it was quite a bit different. I mean, uh, I was born and raised in California in the Bay Area. San Jose is like the 11th largest city in the United States where I went to college. So Regina was, you know, it was a small town. It was different. But immediately when I got there, um, I came up there with a guy named Mike Kelly, who was a quarterback uh, in Memphis with me. So as soon as we got there, we'd start go out going out for breakfast or lunch or whatever and anywhere we'd go we'd always hear people talking about the riders and you kind of got the sense that uh Saskatchewan was a great football town and you know I immediately kind of grew to quite enjoy the environment there and you know like there's nothing like that the rider pride and the way the fans are about the game there Dave what was your biggest adjustment to the Canadian Football League game Um there wasn't really that much of an adjustment. I mean, basically, even though there's, you know, the extra player on the field, I mean, the front seven is still the same. I guess the biggest adjustment was probably the three downs because, um, you know, when I got up there, I played a, a lot of special teams, covered a lot of punts and kicks and so forth. So, um, I mean, if you went, if the defense, if we stopped them and then went over to the sideline and the offense, instead of three and out, it's two and out, and you're back out there covering kicks. So a lot of running around. And I, I guess the bigger field was something you adjust to. But, you know, with uh, playing a lot of special teams and only two downs to rest, it, you had to be in good condition to run around, I'll tell you that. Hey, Dave Albright, tell me about this, though. A couple of the rules, especially on special teams. How about no yards and how about the rouge? How long did it take Dave Albright to wrap his brain around those two rules? No yards. Um, well, and the other thing is just all the kicks happening to be returned or a, a single. I mean, that was much different than the U.S. game. So, I mean, you know, the guy was going to return the kick every time on field goals. You know, if the, if the ball, if they didn't return it, it would be a single. And then I'll be honest with you right now, I, w- w- what's a rouge? 
Well, that's the single, the rouge, <laughs> the, the the single, the, the you know, the whole kick it in, kick it out, get a get a single for missing a field goal or a single for you know putting a punt in the end zone. I just you know, American guys sometimes they come up here and they're like scratching their heads, like what is that? Oh yeah, absolutely. That was different. But I'll be honest with you, that that's this is the first time, or maybe I forgot the, of the hearing of that being called a rouge. But I definitely know what single is all. <laughs> Dave Albright joining us, Dave. Did you know the 89 season would be a special one? And, and at what point maybe did you know it was going to be a special one? Well, I mean, I, I, I think we all kind of knew. Um, you know, I got up there partway through the season in 86, and then uh, 87 was my full, first full season. And just some of the guys that we had in there, 88, we made the playoffs for the first time in 11 years, and that, that was pretty exciting. Um, I mean, 11 years is a long time to be out of the playoffs in the CFL, so we knew we were on to something. Um, you know, Coach Gregory had come in there, and, um, you know, 89, we, we, we were confident. We had made the playoffs the year before, and we, we knew we could be on to bigger and better things. I, I think, uh, you know, the, the attitude of the team is that, you know, they had been, I don't want to say they were used to losing or like to lose, not at all, because I know a lot of guys that have played there for a long time that were, were great players and playing hard, but we, we were very confident and we knew we had a pretty good team. Hey, uh, there's a, there's a, not a rumor, but people like to joke that you guys threw that last regular season game in Edmonton. You remember that one? You guys got smoked by the 16 and two Eskimos, but, but you'd come back a couple of weeks later and beat them. Did you guys kind of mail that one in at the end of the regular season? Absolutely not. Nope. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know how you could play football mailing it in. You know. I, I mean, maybe basketball. You can get lazy if you're not playing hard in football. You can get hurt. So now nah, we weren't mailing anything in. Um, we, we were always giving it our best effort, but uh, we just did a little bit better in the Western Final. Speaking of injuries, in your long career, college uh, and in the uh, pro ranks, what's the worst injury Dave Albright suffered? Well, I, w- I would say the worst injury I suffered was uh, probably a broken arm. And I had I had broken my arm when I played in the USFL, and that was in – had broken it in 85. And then in 89, after the tw- in the 12th game of the season, I re-broke that arm, and that put me uh, out for the last six games of the 89 season. And then I didn't return until the uh, – the first playoff game against Calgary that year in 89. So that was probably the worst. Although I broke my foot in 1990 and was out for a while with that. So I would say both of those were, were not enjoyable. 1989, take us through the big play because you're part of one of the most thrilling plays in Rough Rider playoff history. Eddie Lowe sacks the quarterback, Tracy Ham. Dave Albright scoops it up. Uh, take us through that play. What's running through your mind as you're going for the touchdown? Well, I mean, you know, that, that whole game, uh, we, you know, Edmonton was 16 and 2, and they were talking about them as probably one of the greatest teams in CFL history. So we went in there, um, to that game, not knowing that we could win. We had a, we had our defense, we were going to be very aggressive and put pressure on Tracy Ham. So we had a lot of blitz pack, a big, a lot of blitzes, blitz package for that game. And we were getting after him the whole time. So um, I believe Edmonton was up. I, mean, I I think they were maybe up seven to three or ten to three, and they were kind of driving. And you know things weren't looking all that great for us. They were kind of had the momentum, 
And so it was just another blitz, and Eddie, Eddie got through there and just rocked Tracy Ham. The ball went down, and I saw it and picked it up and just uh, hoped that I could make it in for a touchdown. And I think it was 62 yards, and I did, and that kind of got us going there and turned the momentum around. And after that, we were, we were off to the win. Does a play like that though for like take take us normal folks through a play like that because we're we're not in that uh, type of level of competition that they say for athletes when they're making a big play it's like time stops or it slows down was that the case for you in that sixty two yard run? Well, yeah, it kind of seems like it's going forever. You know, you, you're like, is anybody going to catch me? And you're running, and it's it, it's a little bit of slow motion, but. Uh, you know, yeah, it was it was a great feeling, and it was uh, you know it was a, it was a moment that I'll never forget. Okay, so you got here. the 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 waters were rough when you first got to Saskatchewan, but in '89, of course, you beat Edmonton. Like you said, you go to the Grey Cup. What's the What's the first thing you think about when you think about the greatest Grey Cup game ever played? The forty three forty win over Hamilton. What's the first thing that pops into Dave Albright's head? The first thing that pops into my head. Um, I, I guess, you know, watching that Ridgeway's kick go through the goalpost at the end of the game, it has to be the, the biggest thing that pops into my head. Um, you know, we kind of, uh, once we beat Edmonton, we were confident and, uh, you know, we, we knew or we thought we knew we were going to win the cup. Uh, it didn't end up, it ended up being, uh, not much of a defensive struggle, but the offense has had a lot of success that day and it was high scoring, but, you know, I guess the thing that everybody in Saskatchewan is going to remember is uh, Ridgeway's kick going through at the end of the game for us to win it. Yeah, and uh, the celebration of the fans afterward when you guys got back home, a lot of guys I've talked to said that sticks in their memory too. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, uh, the whole thing, I mean, even after the game, you know, my whole family was there and, my, you know, my dad was in the locker room with, with us and everything, and that was kind of nice. Um you know, went to the stadium for the celebration, and I don't remember what it was, minus something, and that, that doesn't detour anybody in Regina. So no. the stadium was filled. And just after that, I mean, I stuck around town for a while and went to a few hockey games in the province, and just, you know, you would have thought that it's just the appreciation, it's, it's hard to describe. I always, I've told people forever the way the fans are there, there's, there's nothing quite like it. And here we go, sports ticker, 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy suffered a torn UCL in his elbow that will sign him six months. That's from Adam Schefter about, oh, about 20 minutes ago. So Brock Purdy going under the knife. CFL report with Michael Ball and Luke Mullinder. But I don't get the Dane Evans hate. I really don't. How about you? I'm not sure if it's paid. I just think that I think that people are suspicious that when Dane Evans finally became the guy, it wasn't the guy that that they saw when he was like the guy behind the guy, mm-hmm. right? Like when he was playing for Jeremiah Masoli and man, he was the man. He was looking like, hey, this is the next highest paid cool QB in the league. And then he got his shot. And when he got his shot. It crumbled, and it, there was no, there's no real excuse. They've got a lot of talent in Hamilton, so I'm not sure that if it, I don't know if it gets paid. I just think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of hesitation based on, hey, look what we saw when he was QB one in Hamilton, you know, and 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 I like, I like the pressure that Saskatchewan is putting on, on on the QB position right now, because 
and as crazy as it seems, because I know that Saskatchewan fans are taking taking it tough right now, right? But the one good thing about the Saskatchewan fans is they kept, they're keeping the standard at Grey Cup. That's the expectation. And I think that Dane Evans is a guy who's, uh, we talked about it last week, right, Bobby? You're going to have to put an offensive line in front of this yep. kid. All right? He's going to have to build some confidence. But it's not just it, this This approach this year is going to be about more than one person. It's going to be more than about Dan Evans, whoever's in there. Right? I just think that right now people see, you know, people expect, people expect the Riders to get back into the championship mix, right, next year. Not compete, not, you know, have a good year. People expect championships. Our broadcast, we're going to narrow, spin our narratives based on whether the team can win a championship. Right. And I think that people see Dane Evans as a guy that, okay, when he was given a shot to be a championship QB, it went the other way. So people are kind of nervous about that because people say to themselves, hey, we want a guy who's going to bring the riders into the championship. Every time Saskatchewan gets in second or long, they've been bringing Glenn Suter up on the outside. Sometimes they blitz him, sometimes they don't. But when he's blitzed, he's had success. And it's picked up by Suter, he runs it out of bounds. It's time for press coverage as former Ryder Greats and veteran CFL football broadcaster Glenn Suter shares his unique and passionate perspective about the league we love with Ryder Nation. Ah, uh, yes. Time to head out on the Western Pizza Hotline and speak with Glenn Suter, Hall of Fame broadcaster, Plaza of Honor inductee, Grey Cup champ. The, the uh, segment is brought to you by our friends at Quality Tire with nine locations in Saskatchewan to serve you. QualityTire.ca is where you can check them out. Just had uh, your old teammate Dave Albright on, of course. Uh, he passed away, so we thought we'd take a little walk down memory lane uh, and hear from him in his own words. Just your thoughts on your uh, fallen teammate, uh, Dave Albright. Yeah, that was that was outstanding to hear his voice. You know, it was such just you know sad day when you when we all got the news and you know because when you when you play in a team sport and it's a team sport in in a game that requires a level of physicality, whether it's hockey, rugby, football. Um, there's a brotherhood that is that is created that never goes away. You, you know, you may not see a teammate from 1989 for 20 years and then you see him somewhere and you walk over and you were in the locker room again it's just like you're right back brothers um that you know so it it was i have to be honest i was i was fighting some emotions uh it was it was it was really nice and i want to thank you for running that interview because it was really nice to hear his voice yeah, Dave Albright. Dave Albright, Ballsy was a tremendous leader. He was pound for pound one of the toughest human beings I've ever been around. Um, watching him prepare for a game and what he had to go through at times, uh, you know, with some painkillers and some, you know, some injections in his feet and just the pain that he would go through and not want to let his teammates down. So he'd always want to come back. I mean, I'm sure there were times when I know he was real close to Bobby Jerson, but there were times I'm sure when Bobby would say, Hey, you know, take this one off. I mean, man, and he would, you know, he, he'd battled through it and we all saw it. So when he stepped into the huddle, everybody was listening. And, and I don't know that there was, I mean, Dave Albright was a tackle to tackle run stopper 
that had deceptive speed, as you guys talked about from that taped interview when he made that 60-plus yard fumble return touchdown in the West Final, which was the biggest play of that game. Yeah, really did uh, turn things in your favor, and momentum was on your side. Um, okay, so let's and and God rest his soul. And those are some good words from you, as uh, you guys are uh, forever linked with the Grey Cup championship, and more importantly, your friendship. Okay, Glenn Suter, you love football, both sides of the border, any level. Uh, I will tell you this though, man, I'm watching Josh Johnson quarterback the San Francisco 49ers, and I'm thinking now. In fairness to him, he probably didn't get a lot of reps during the week, but he's been in the league for ten years with 13 different teams, three times with the 49ers. I tweeted out, if this guy's playing in the NFL, Nathan Rourke has a job for life. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've said that, forget about second or 13 guys. I've said that about a lot of starters that I've, you know, evaluated. And, you know, in, in fairness, and I'll, I'll, you know, I'll be, you know, I'll be, uh, try to be sort of not neutral here because I cheer for Nathan. I am going to be cheering for Nathan. I know a lot of Canadians will be. But, um, you know, he has to, he has to go and get it done. He has to accomplish it. But the politics that he's going to face are going to be, it's going to be a, a steep mountain, a steep hill to climb mm-hmm. because it just, it, it is, it's real. But when I look at the way Dak Prescott played in his last playoff game, not the, not the one, two playoff games ago, but the last one, I mean, don't tell me a guy with lightning fast release. Great processing speed, tremendous athleticism, uh, a work ethic that is second to none on either side of the border, can't go out there and be a pro bowler. And I, I truly believe that just the raw talents of Nathan Rourke tell me exactly what you're saying. Forget about backups. There's half the starters down there. Yeah, you just described... You know, you just described yeah. Patrick Mahomes. You just described Patrick Mahomes. Uh, gets rid of the ball, throws from different arm angles, uh, lightning release, athleticism. You can't take anything away from what Patrick Mahomes did yesterday uh, with losing all those receivers and Kelsey not at 100%, that he's going back to the Super Bowl and yada, yada, yada. Okay? Great. But I'll tell you what, man, that NFL officiating yesterday, how I thought I was watching WWE. How in the bloody hell does a team get two third downs? Two third downs, they get the do-over, and then a bogus pass interference call. Uh, I mean, and you've played football. Everybody's jumping on this kid from Cincinnati, okay? That's a bang-bang play on the sidelines. To me, in a game like that, that wasn't unnecessary roughness. I don't care what anybody says. Well, overall, the officiating was awful. And, you know, I know there's going to be a lot of people that will try to justify it away. There are going to be a lot of Canadian reporters who will come on and, and try to distract and change the topic and and change the narrative and say, yeah, but Mahomes was a hero and he was playing hurt. And, you know, I, I love the game. And, I, you know, we've, we've said for years, and it, somehow people just, kind of brush it off because I'm a protectionist, that I'm a, a patriot for Canadian football, so I'll always defend it, and, and so therefore dismisses my at, at times the way I analyze it, but the game was so poorly officiated. They had longer meetings at times than some of our guys have at times. I've said for years, CFL officials are fantastic. They just need more resources. They need you know, be paid more and the competition increased. And we need to talk about the philosophy of the rules and how they're, how they're applied, not just the rule themselves. But that, 
that was terrible. In the in a championship NFL game to go to the Super Bowl, it was terrible officiating. And I you know, I, I know all week I'm gonna hear Canadian reporters say, Oh no, 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 it was Mahomes and this matchup coming up in the Super Bowl is gonna be outstanding and they just quickly changed. So I I don't like to be the guy who kicks the mistakes that are made, but I, I, I do wanna bring that perspective when we're in week four of the regular season and Winnipeg and Saskatchewan are playing or whomever they're playing and there's a missed roughing the passer call or something like that and people start to vilify the entire game because of that one incident and say, well, the officials ruin it, it's Bush League, this is what happens all the time in the game and this is why no one is going to the games in Toronto and it just it grows that way. Whereas we'll see this game yesterday that we saw that was just, horrid officiating and we'll justify it away and say well we can't wait to see the matchup in the Super Bowl again it's just I'm bringing that perspective because I hope that fans listen in and if you keep hearing that from certain reporters stop following them on Twitter stop listening to them yeah I like that lastly Glenn you're a hockey guy uh, cause you like all sports. I kind of lit Twitter on fire, uh, this weekend because listen, I'm not a snowflake. I like physicality. I love my kids playing tackle football in the States. I love, I've coached football. I love hockey. I like all the, I watch MMA. I'm not a huge fan, but I watch it with my son, kind of a bonding thing. But to me, I'm watching the Oiler game in the weekend with the Blackhawks. There's a fight. Guys get up. Their nose is all bleeding, everything like that. And I'm like, we know CTE, we know concussions. Why would we allow something in an organized team sport that really should have nothing to do with the sport? How do you feel about fighting in hockey? Because I think it should be it should go the way of the dodo bird. Well, it's it's been quite a quite a long time. I'm I'm going to say uh, almost ten years. I mean, I I coached kids hockey for seven straight years as the head coach of a hockey team. Um, you know, with my son playing hockey and and. Uh, was concerned on a regular basis, almost every game for player safety, and not necessarily because of the fights, the fist fights, but the hits from behind, and you know, guys that that thought the game was all about trying to run somebody rather than go and compete for the puck. Um, and your 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 argument on player safety when it comes to fighting is bang on. How how can we in in one way say? We're concerned with players and, and their safety and trying to make the game safer all the time, any physical game, and then allow fighting to be part of it. That You just can't. I mean, it should be an automatic game suspension if you fight. And then I'll take it even further because I've always said that this, this idea, this culture in hockey where you're down on the scoreboard by three goals, so what you need to do then is start a fight, that that is not toughness in any way. That that type of toughness is when a coach throws a stick across the ice or smashes a chair in a basketball court or something. That's not being tough. That's being a spoiled brat that's not getting his way on a playground. And it's not the right message. And fighting when you're down in the scoreboard and saying, Well, we need a spark, we need someone to go out and show that we're tough. Well, no, that opportunity when it was zero zero was right there in front of you and you didn't do it within the rules and now you're a spoiled you know upset kid that is going to get in a fist fight because he's down in the scoreboard that that type of of fighting and culture in hockey is ridiculous it needs to go your reason for player safety should be the most important but 
it's the culture thing too. That's not a good example for young kids in team sports to say, "Hey, if you're not winning the game, go and punch somebody." Stupid. <laughs> That's a great way to end it. Glenn, if you wouldn't mind, I'll, we usually get you for two segments. I'll have you on for a quick one tomorrow again because we uh, like our continued talk and there's lots to get through, like dysfunction in Montreal and Trevor Harris might hit the free agent market. Could uh, raise the uh, eyebrows of uh, maybe people in Ryder Nation. Hey, thanks for your time, Glenn. I appreciate it. Hey, Michael, thank you for the interview with Dave Albright. No problem, man. We You can listen to that many, many times. I might even email that to you, but it'll be on uh, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. When we come back, we'll talk to a tough guy, Chris Nyland, Knuckles Nyland on the Sports Cage next here on 620 CKRM. You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Show is brought to you by Andrew Share Limited. You can send a text in at 936-6262. Your thoughts on the topics of the day. Um, and it's powered by Capital Ford Lincoln. And all our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. Get it hot, get it fast at Western Pizza. Talking about tough guys and hockey. How about this guy? Chris Knuckles Nyland. You can check him out at Knuckles Nyland 30 on Twitter. And he's got the Raw Knuckles podcast as well. Thanks for joining me, uh, Chris, all the way from Hawaii. Uh, dude, we got to talk about this first. Okay, I see this tweet. I see this tweet on January 20th, three Marlin before noon, 350 pounds, 670 pounds and 750 pounds. How the hell did you do that? Well, that's unheard of, to be honest with you. Um, But my brother-in-law is uh, a captain, boat captain here. He's been fishing since he'd been a kid. And quite honestly, he's never had a day like that fishing and i've been with him a few times i've caught um you know marlin in the three four hundred five hundred range now um usually you're lucky to get one a trip very lucky to get one fish a trip but they had a pocket of water in here that was like unheard of it was like crazy people were catching fish left and right and i was the only angler on the boat my girlfriend was with me jamie Mm -hmm. and I kept telling her, will you get in the chair after the second one? And she's like, nope, nope. So after three, I was I was junk. And <laughs> I had a fourth one on, and I had him on for about 45 minutes, and uh, he pulled the hook. And I was like, oh, thank God. But I don't know how big that fish was, but it was big, and I would have loved to have known, but I'll have to come back and uh, try again. So when when you unbelievable, yeah, unbelievable is right. So when you you catch those fish, can you like like who can you liken that to in terms of fighting? When you're fighting, how tired were you fighting this guy? I likened it to fighting Dave Brown three times in the first period. <laughs> wow. Wait, That's okay, it. okay. So 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 I um. I uh, talked to Wendell Clark one time, and he said, listen, the reason why nobody touched Gretzky is you'd be fighting this guy one night, maybe you're fighting Chris Nile the next night, then you go into Edmonton, and you know if you mess with Gretzky, you're going to have to you're going to have to answer to like uh, a Dave, uh, Dave Semenko type of player. Um, I, I was watching an Oiler game recently, and listen, I'm going to preface this by telling you, Chris, I am not a snowflake. I like physicality. My son plays tackle football in the state, so I love... I love the physicality of sports, okay? But with everything we know about CT and concussions, is fighting still necessary in hockey? Why do you think so or not? Um, listen, I think the way it used to be, it's not necessary. 
But I think at times, um, the reason why it's kept in there, it gives a player the outlet in certain situations. Now, I think, uh, seeing as you like the rough stuff, when you look at the Panarin incident in Mm -hmm. New York, Mm -hmm. uh, the liberties that Wilson took with him and what happened there, there was nobody there to respond. And all of a sudden, they bring Reeves in the lineup, and all of a sudden, Wilson doesn't play the same way. So in certain situations, yeah, I think it's still called for. I could honestly, I've seen it, I've done it so many times. Sometimes I'll I'll see an old fight of mine, so I'm going to post it, and I'll go, what the hell was I thinking there? But then I I go back to what the game was at the time, and... Mm -hmm. It was a necessary evil, if you will, in the game. And, uh, again, I could I care less if I ever saw another hockey fight, quite, quite honestly? Yes. I remember seeing, um, um, uh, what's his name, George Paros. Yeah. I was there the evening he went down his face when he fought Colton Moore, and I was right above it. Man, uh, and I could hear it, and it was, it was like, sickening. Made me sick, honestly. And when I see old fight tapes, uh, Todd Fedoric is a friend, and uh, when I see those fights he had where his face was crushed, he got knocked out cold, God, it sickens it, it, it me. I think majority of the time, though, you see guys that might get a black eye, a couple bumps here and there. It's not such a, you know, as bad as people think at times. But, mm-hmm. you know, this game today has changed. It's so, so much faster, wide open, let's go, run and gun, and... You know, there's some violent collisions, and I think you take that part of the game out, uh, you're going to see, I think you would see more of the um, guys taking liberties on, especially on the better players. Well put by Chris Nyland, a guy that uh, did it, scored goals, but also fought in the NHL and now wrestles Marlins in Hawaii and does a great job of that, too. Uh, Bobby Bobby Hall Hall passing away today at the age of 84. I don't know how many times you met him, but just your thoughts on the passing of a hockey legend. Yeah, no question, a legend in the game. Um, you know, uh, I've met him on a few occasions. I've taken some long bus rides with him when I played with the alumni. Um, and it, he certainly liked to have fun. I I got to tell you, um, when you look at the numbers he put up, it's incredible. Guy scored 900 goals, including the WHA. 900, I don't care. You can say it was a fluff league, it was this or that. He scored 300 goals in 400-something games. And, and 610 goals in the NHL, like, got over 1,000 points, almost a point-a-game player. Hello. Uh, he revolutionized the slap shot, the curved stick. Um, pretty impressive. Uh, certainly, I know people talk about his off ice stuff, whatever. Uh, again, I'm not trying to minimize or anything, but um, the guy had a, a – hockey-wise, he had an incredible – Korea, uh, he was certainly a, a, a colorful character. Yeah, and that's a good way to put it. I think if we dig deep enough, at least I'll speak for myself, you could find uh, something wrong with anybody's past. So, uh, yeah, uh, well put on a day when uh, when he passes away. And lastly, speaking of impressive, how about those Boston Bruins? I know recently they've kind of been on the bit of the skids. Uh, what are you making of what the Boston Bruins are doing here? Haven't won a cup in t- uh, 2011. Do you think they got a pretty good shot this year? Hey, listen, I, they're in a slump right now, right? They're six, three, and one in their last ten. <laughs> I think every team in the NHL would take that every ten-game ten segment. You kidding me, right? Um, so 
it's incredible what they've done. What I look at when I look at this team, certainly they got the goaltending, the good mobile defense, moving the puck, they're strong up the middle. But the, the one, two center icemen, uh, what, 38 and 30 something? Yeah, 37 years old or 36. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Bergeron, they have to be healthy for this to continue. Now, if I'm coaching that team, I'm managing that team, I'm saying down the stretch, I don't care if these guys want the break or not. I'm going to use them sparingly. Uh, I'm going to, I got to be careful with them. You don't want them going to, in the playoffs that age, right? You're mm-hmm. a little older, uh, and it's a grind. Um, you want them healthy and rested going in the playoffs. Now, they probably like, no, I want to play, I want to play. But you, I think handling those guys down the last 20 games is going to be something you got to watch for because if one or both of those guys get hurt, they're in trouble. Now, I go back to Tampa Bay having that incredible season and then getting bounced out by Columbus. That's what I worry about. That first round, man, you better be ready to play. And if they put so much into winning, the, and, and, and what do you do? You, you just keep winning hockey games. It's a great environment. I'm, what a team to play on, right? <laughs> yeah. On the rink every day, everybody's upbeat, you know. You, you lose, what, seven games so far this season? That's nothing. And, and you know, they keep this thing going. Uh, you want to keep it going in the playoffs. But that's you got to be aware of that first round. And hopefully – they stay healthy and they're able to do it. I really, I love the story. I love that player Bergeron. Uh, he's, you know, Boston. They always find that unbelievable Quebec player. You know, the Ray Bork. They had. They always. They had good scouts in Quebec. They, mm-hmm. they get a guy like Bergeron. They've had two captains out of Quebec. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And hey, some of the best players ever. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I love what the bees are doing. The Habs, not so much. I mean, I do like what they're doing as far as. It, trying to retool this whole thing. It's going to take a lot of work. Yeah. I think they got the right people in place to do it, but it's going to take some time. Knuckles, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your time in Hawaii. We'll talk again sometime. All right. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Mike. No problem, buddy. Take, Enjoy. Take care. That is Chris Nyland talking about fighting. I love that. I wouldn't be a, I wouldn't be a journalist if I skirted around that. You talk to a guy that dropped the mitts, he had some uh, enlightened comments there. When we come back, Coach Dickinson joins us, as always, on a Monday on the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Sports Talk lives here. Welcome to another hour of the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. This is the Craig Dickinson Show, our weekly chat with the writer's bench boss about the latest news from the locker room. It's the only place where Dickie takes questions from Rider Nation. Time now for our weekly chat with Riders head coach Craig Dickinson. It's brought to you by our friends at McDougal Auctioneers. Thanks for joining us, Craig. I know we catch you in Montana. You're ready to drive up for the, uh, I like to call it the cheat week, but it's the legal cheat week, the open uh, week of communication before free agency. Um, as a coach, are you pretty excited about free agency or you just coach after they've signed everybody? I'm excited about it, Michael. I mean, I think... Anytime you can add real good football players to your team, it's an exciting time. And so, yeah, it's a it's fun. We put a lot of work into it too. You know, we look at a lot of tape and and talk about these guys a lot. So, I'm excited to to be able to get into a week where you can actually visit with them and 
and see where they're at. So it's exciting for us. So, uh, Coach, I was on the record saying I thought Bo Levi Mitchell should be a prime target for the Riders. Obviously, he stays in Hamilton. Does that change your plan of attack? Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure he was on your board somewhere, so he just uh, you throw that off the board and you rejig your plan, so to speak? Yeah, I mean, he was a good player. And if he would have been available, you know, in free agency, we certainly would have wanted to talk to him. But, um you know, it it doesn't change our plan, Michael. It just it just takes one one name off the list. You know, we want to we want to talk to everybody that's available. And if he would have been available, we would have certainly wanted to talk to him. But you know, credit to Hamilton for doing what they needed to to sign him and, and get him under contract. And it's one less guy we we can talk to, but it also allows us to focus on the other guys that are actually going to be there. I've been uh, kind of preaching patience here. It's January 30th. Everybody is 0-0. Zero and zero. Nobody's lost the, Nobody's lost any games yet. The season isn't done, even though fans are... It's kind of like the when people say, oh no, we haven't got much snow. I've never seen a crop lost in January or February, in my opinion. So in terms of, the, in terms of this, uh, you know, uh, what kind of message do you have to the fans? You're like, well, they have really signed too many people here of their own guys yeah i think patience is a good is a good strategy i mean we can sign we can sign everybody if we want but but at the same time is that the best interest of the team and is that the the guys you want i think i think you work hard to try to get an offer out to the guys that you really want that you want to build the team around and we have done that and then uh, and then you just see what's available free agency and all, and you're going to see a lot of guys sign in the next you know probably three to seven days because you know a lot of these cats too also want to see what's out there so I would say the same thing you're saying patience and uh, you know nobody won a championship in February uh, everybody wants to to crown certain teams based on free agency but it's always a mix of good free agency good young players and and Teams just rallying and playing good at the time. So Jeremy Clark resigns. Just your thoughts and getting him back in the fold. He had his best year. I know it's only been two years going into his third, but he had a pretty solid year for you guys in the secondary. Yeah, Jeremy's a good, solid player. You know, we feel like he's he's our kind of guy in terms of of what he brings to the table. He's got he's got some length to him. He's got some toughness to him. Um, he's shown that that when he's when he's playing his best, he's he's one of the better ones out there. So. We're happy to get Jeremy back. We feel like he's a piece to the puzzle, and you know, hopefully we'll see a, a few more guys sign before free agency. Coach, I felt like maybe you didn't have that home run hitter, that deep ball guy in the receiving group. Like Duke could go up and get the ball, but he wasn't a burner. Uh, Shaq's maybe not as much of a burner as he was in the past. Is that kind of one of the things you're targeting? You want to stretch that field, either through free agency or finding somebody in, uh, you know, uh, in scouting. That, yeah, that's an important piece to the puzzle. And, uh, you know, those guys are hard to find. Those guys that got enough speed to take the top off the coverage, but are also, you know, smart players and understand how to get open underneath. But that's, that's, that's an important piece of the puzzle. And that's somebody we'll be looking at in free agency. I'm not sure that guy is out there in free agency. Um, yeah, so we'll do the best we can to, to find guys that fit our system in free agency. But that's something when we look at, guys in the off season and we scout that's something we're really looking for is a guy that's got enough speed that he can take the top off the coverage and if if they don't honor him you know you can throw a ball deep and and and, and get a big play so 
Those guys are hard to find, Michael, but we're looking. We're so, looking for that guy all the time. What's your philosophy as a head coach now? You're into it for a handful of years here. What is your philosophy for winning? Like, what do you think the key is to win in this league? I've heard so many times it's defense wins championships, but Wally Buono told me once, he said, listen, if you got really good quarterbacking, a line that can protect that quarterback, uh, and good Canadians in the CFL, you, that's a recipe to win championships. Yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I still believe that you win up front. So, in my opinion, in our league, it's it's a small league, and there's only you know nine teams. So, you got to be playing well at the end, first of all, and you got to stay healthy. Um, in in addition to those two things, I think you got to be good up front. So, having good, solid quarterback play doesn't have to be the best quarterback, but he has to be you know in the top three or four, I think and being really good up front, both on the offensive line and defensive line. And then and then the last thing, like I said, is staying healthy. That's the key to winning it. Yeah. Okay, so I'm watching the NFL, and uh, I'll tell you what, man, there's a lot of talk being made about how the defensive line wreaking havoc on a lot of offensive lines, and they're letting uh, maybe a little bit more holding going, and they're letting the, uh, the, the tackles in particular get out of their stance a little quicker, you know, on those jab steps back to uh, kind of compensate for the great rush ends. Are, are you finding that even in our league, like the D-line is, uh, is starting to overpower O-lines a little bit? Yeah, that's that's been the case, I believe, in our league for a while now, and so um, that's why I think that's why you see offensive linemen, specifically Canadian offensive linemen, making so much money. Is I think the the value they bring in blocking these outstanding defensive linemen, everybody realizes how important that is. So, yeah, that's that's kind of the way it's been. You know, I think. There's so much emphasis on quarterback play and developing quarterbacks. I think teams have realized, you know, the best way to nullify that is to just have the best defensive line you can put out there and, and rush the quarterback and make him uncomfortable. So that's the formula down south. It's a formula in our league, I believe, to get to the quarterback and disrupt him. Coach, good quarterbacking, great quarterbacking doesn't happen overnight. It didn't happen overnight for Ricky Ray, for the guy we talked about at the start of this interview, Bo Levi-Mitchell, not for Darian Durant at the start, Henry Burris, I could list a, a bunch of others, maybe even your brother right at the start. Um, how long do you think it takes a quarterback to really turn into a star? Because here's something I got from a fan recently. You know, whatever happened to the days of Flutie and Garcia and Durant and Calvillo and Dickinson and that era, but those guys weren't those guys at the start either like how do you feel about the quarterback play in our league because scoring was up yet people continue to complain about the quarterback play in this league yeah and I think some of that's a little misguided I think the quarterbacks this last year played very well and I think you know at the league meetings we looked at some stats that showed quarterbacking play this year was as strong as it's been in, in many many years I mean um, overall, the ratings and the pass efficiency and the completion percentage is in a higher percentage than it's been in a long, long time. But to answer your question, I think it takes probably two years, two full years. And I think when guys get into that third year as quarterbacks, that's when you're going to see really a lot of growth. So mm-hmm. I think if you can get to year three as a quarterback, you've got a chance. You know, the hard part is, and sometimes you get in early and teams make up your mind on you early on and you don't get to that third year. Yeah. What did you see about Mason Fine that you like to say, hey, we're bringing him back and, uh, you know, we'll uh, see what he's got again for another uh, training camp? Well, he's got such a good arm. He can make every throw. 
You know, he can make every throw that you want. He's got some escapability. Um, you know, you worry about his size a little bit, but we've seen some awfully good quarterbacks that are 5'10", 5'11". So I just think he's shown enough, you know, through the course of the last two years. He played well enough in those last two games that with maybe another year under his belt and another training camp under his belt, he's he can make some improvements and be a guy. Last question for you, Coach Dickinson. When do we hope to have an announcement rounding out our coaching staff? I know it sounds like a broken record, but fans do want to yeah. know. Yeah. Well, we're we're working hard to find the right guys and the right fit. We're really close to announcing it. We've got uh, two more positions. We've got uh, two or three guys at each position we still need to visit with, but we're very close on that. So I would anticipate sometime that first week of February. Again, I don't want to make any promises because i got to make sure that we ha- we find the right guy for the job. But we'll have a good coaching staff in place. You know, when we're trying to sign free agents, they will know that they've got a coach at their position group that's going to coach them and bring the best out of them. So we'll get that done soon. Coach, thanks for your time, man. Uh, safe travels back to Regina. Thanks, my man. We'll see you soon. The Kings of Saskatchewan Sports Talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. And the show is brought to you by Andrew Shared Limited. Time to head out in the Western Pizza Hotline and speak with our friend Tim Peel, former NHL ref. Tim, hope you're having a good day. Uh, Bobby Hall passing away at the age of 84. I did a dinner. First time I was an MC in this business was back in Raymore when he came in to do a dinner. He, he joked and said, hey, youngster, put me on the docket early. He was supposed to be the last talker, but he goes, put me on early. I want to drink and kibitz with the people. So I, I, I put him on, I put him on the docket earlier. The organizers were kind of, what are you doing? I said, Bobby Hall does what Bobby Hall wants to do. Uh, just, yeah. just your thoughts on Bobby Hall. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of times and certainly he was a tremendous player. And, and, you know, I saw a few comments on social media and that's what makes social media so uh, disgusting. Some days, uh, sometimes uh-huh. it's just a couple comments about him and, and, and at the end of the day, he's someone's father and that that's golden, you know, the golden Brett, uh, Brett Hall's father. And so I wish people could just sometimes have a little bit more con- compassion and, in our world than just attacking somebody for what they may have done or may have said years and years and years ago, but phenomenal player, certainly a big personality and, uh, and someone that uh, was tremendous to watch. Awesome, man. Thank you for saying that because I, uh, I've said it too. It's just crazy. The the world in social media, it's attack, attack, attack. Cause you could sit behind a keyboard being a faceless Correct. person. I, hey, the only time I uh, ran into Bobby Hall, uh, he was a, a great guy and Dennis Hall too, too, uh, too, gems in my in my book anyway um okay tim i'm watching the edmonton oilers game the other night and uh kulak fights this guy from the blackhawks and listen i'm not gonna sit here and pretend like fans don't love fighting and you know you don't see somebody go get some popcorn when a fight's on or nobody gets up in their living room and goes to the bathroom when a fight's on i get it but knowing what we know now about cte and concussions do we really need fighting anymore in the game of hockey? I mean, Tim Peel, Dave Jackson, these guys, you know, uh, my buddy Chris Schlenker, you guys are on the ice. There are rules there. If you call the rules, why do we need fighting? No, it's a great question, and that decision is certainly way above my pay grade. 
but it's it's funny that you bring it up because a year a year or two ago I was doing a podcast and I forget who who it was with and they asked me about fighting and I said I don't know if we're now at the the age in our sport of the you know 2023 whether fighting is is necessary and my biggest concern is we all remember uh, a few years ago when George Peros got knocked out in Montreal and went face first. He was playing for the Montreal Canadiens at the time. And with players falling back, you know, my biggest concern is if a player falls back without his helmet on and hits his head on the ice, we may be having a completely different conversation, and that scares me. So I'm kind of leaning to where you are, where I don't know if it's necessary anymore. The guys that do fight, they can play. They're good players. It's not like it was 20, 30 years ago. I think maybe we might be at that time in our sport where if we eliminated fighting, are we going to lose any fans? I don't think so. Our game's fast. It's exciting. We've got great young superstars in the league. And uh, maybe it is time, Michael. Yeah, so, and here's where I'm going with this, Tim, because I know you teach the next generation of officials. My uh, nephew is a 16-year-old guy refing right here in Regina. So, like, when do you start teaching these officials how they get in and break up a fight? And should they be the ones caught in crossfire? That's Listen, I'm not a snowflake. I I I love physicality. Sure. I love football. I love the body checks and hockey. But that just seems wacky to me. Like, so how do you go about teaching something like that? When do you start teaching that? Well, we, at my referee camps, we really don't teach that because most of the kids that are working in my camp are working, um, you know, local minor hockey here where we don't do not have any fighting. Now, if somebody asks for my advice, and I'll give it to them, but. I'm not really trying to instruct them on how to break up fights. It's more, you know, our junior hockey here in the United States is a lot different than junior hockey in in Canada. You know, I see some of the clips from the BCHL and the the Saskatchewan League, and, man, there's some heavyweights in those leagues right now. And and it kind of bothers me a little bit because I'm like, you get these 18, 16, 17, 18-year-olds fighting, and, and like you mentioned alluded to earlier with CTE and so on. Is that really the path that we want to go down? Do we want our young kids fighting at such a young age? So it's a, it's a very great question you brought up and, and uh, I think it, it might be time to move on. So, but here's a question. I want to know this as a fan, what, what are officials instructed to do? Like I'm watching that fight. So when does a, so when do the linesmen get in to break it up? When do they decide to do that? Are you taught how to protect yourself when you do that? Yeah. No, they're they're told to go in as as soon as somebody is gaining an unfair advantage, and as soon as someone is gaining an unfair advantage and the other player is unable to protect himself, then we're instructed to go in. And how you're instructed to go in is you you take one one arm, put it over their arms, and the second arm, your other arm comes up comes up under their arms, so you tie them up like that. You know, the other time that we're instructed to stop a fight is if the helmet comes off and we're instructed then if if we can as long as it's safe for the linesman to do so is to move in at the right time and it's just it takes years of experience on how to break up a fight and when the best time is to go in and and uh stop that fight 
before A, they get hurt, and, and B, to prevent you from also getting hurt. Tim, are we having an issue, uh, states or in Canada, from what you're hearing, with uh, you know uh, attracting young officials, keeping them in the game? Because we get some idiot parents. We talked about this before. We get some idiot parents that like to lean over the glass, have one too many, and uh, yell at kids. <laughs> yeah, I think it is a concern. You know, I think certainly uh, when COVID hit a few years ago, more and more uh, got out of the game at that point in time. And uh, But I see quite a few young officials here in St. Louis signing up. I think it's starting to come back a little bit. I think uh, with, with you know, I'm, I see it at the rinks with, with parents yelling at officials and so on. I, hopefully it's getting better. I've seen a few videos this year, but I'm hoping that we can start attracting more officials. Um, sometimes video is a bad thing. Sometimes video is a good thing. And maybe parents will be a little bit more uh, less inclined to yell at an official if they know that there's a uh, iPhone taking a video of them. Can you give a piece of advice to a young official maybe uh, listening, uh, you know, just starting out? Just just ignore the white noise. You know, ignore the white noise. You've got the tools in your toolbox to deal with irate, irate coaches. I was at a game uh, my son was playing at a couple weeks ago, and the referee actually kicked out a parent from the other team. So there are, you know, you've got the tools. You can kick out a fan, a parent. You can kick out a coach. But try to try to enjoy it. Communicate with the coaches, which what I would say would be the, the biggest factor. I think some coaches get uh, frustrated because these officials don't communicate, but they also have to understand that the officials maybe he, he may be only 14, 15, 16, 16 years old. He hasn't developed that skill set yet where he knows how to communicate. It'd be a lot tougher to be an official coming up these days with social media, circling back to our earlier part of the conversation, wouldn't it? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right, uh, Tim, thanks for your time, man. Always appreciate the thanks. conversation and insight. Thanks, Michael. Your sports ticker at 532 is brought to you by Busy Bee Overhead. Busy Bee will replace or repair your residential or commercial garage doors so you don't get stuck in or out. Catch the buzz. Busy Bee Doors, the garage door specialists. Big blockbuster trade in the National Hockey League. The New York Islanders have acquired NHL All-Star Bo Horvat from the Canucks in exchange for Anthony Beauvillier and Atu Ratu in a conditional 2023 first round pick. That news coming in just under an hour ago. This is Pat Chat brought to you by the Canadian Brew House in Regina and in Moose Jaw. Your location to watch all the great sports like the NHL, the CFL, and of course the NFL with the Super Bowl right around the corner. Let's go back to yesterday at the Brand Center where the Pats had a four-game winning streak on the line when they faced the Medicine Ad Tigers. Here's how it sounded, followed by some frustrating comments from Pat's assistant coach, Brad Haroff. Now left circle, back to Bedard at the midpoint, walking to the circle, nice little move to the high slot, shoots, scores! <laughs> wow! Here's Fulzel, can't poke it out, Lindstrom intercepts, it's a 3 on 0 for Medicine Hat, to the net, Lindstrom, great right pass saved by Drew Sim. Massive stop, and here come the Pats the other way, Sues to Levitt center. Right side over the Medicine Hat line, in the slot for Fulzel, back across, looking for a deflection, it's stopped, rebound, Bedard scores! <laughs> Backhands it across to Bash. A nice move in the slot. He shoots that one wide. Rebound scores. Medicine Hat is down by one. 
Top of the right circle, centered in front to Beam in tight, and a great save. Spread eagle stop by Drew Sip. Now Botcharov to center, now taken away by Bedard. How did he make that pass to Rowan over the line? Two on one, left side, scores! Sues the leb behind the net, tries the Michigan, and it stopped off the goaltender's mask. How did he do that? He'll backhand it to the line for Berg. Now Bateman, left point, a shot deflected, scores! Hat trick, Connor Bedard! Interesting. Uh, Here's Basha dilemma. trying to poke it through the defense. He's all alone. He scores! Andrew Basha makes a drag move, lost it as it's poked off his stick down the ice, out of the penalty box. Here comes Bain to the net, and a great diving play by Feist to take him off the puck. The lead in front, centers it in front, and a good block by Feist again. Face off one to the line, slap shot, scores! Bogdan's hot ass off the face off in the Regina zone, won by the Tigers. Midpoint hot ass, scores from the line, and the Tigers have tied it up at four, his second of the night. Right side stops up at the board, centers it in front, Mercic to the net, he scores! And the Tigers have taken a five to four lead. Opportunity for Bame on the empty net, left side, he's got a breakaway, and he'll put this one away with one second left. Tigers up 6-4 and they'll win this one. Brad, Al and I were just talking about this. After the first period in which you guys look like we're in full control of this hockey game, did you anticipate kind of a, a bit of a pushback from Medicine Hat uh, in the second and third period like we saw? Um, honestly, truthfully, I was surprised we were up to nothing the way we were playing. I thought Medicine Hat, I thought Drew Sim once again was yeah. holding us in that hockey game. I thought we were very lucky to be up to nothing. Um, so, yeah, I thought Medicine Hat was going to be coming hard. They play a very consistent game and have been doing that here for the last uh, month. They've been one of the better teams in our conference here, in the top three in the conference, actually, with the record. Um, being what it is, uh, we knew what to expect, and... They came all night at us, and it, it was a slow burn for me from the first period. Uh, first period, we were very lucky to be up to nothing, and I just can't repeat that enough. Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the Mighty 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the Sports Cage for Andrew Shared Limited, supplying HVAC plumbing and irrigation supplies across Western Canada since 1892. Learn more at Shared.com. You can bang out a text at 936-6262. Text line powered by Capital Ford Lincoln. All our guests come to you via the Western Pizza Hotline. Um, Bobby Hall passing away today at the age of 84. He was in town with Eddie Shack in 2006 in our control room for uh, little... Uh, chat, I believe, with Perry Nice and Colin Lovequist back in the day. And uh, we will air on our podcast a six-minute uh, little excerpt of that interview. Of course, uh, first guy to score 50 goals in an NHL season, uh, along with Stan Makita, curved stick. I know he had some off-ice stuff, which, if it's to be believed, I do not condone. Uh, but on the ice, we can uh, celebrate his accomplishments, so we will in podcast form later. Let's head out on the uh, Western Pizza Hotline and talk with Tyrone Poole, two-time Super Bowl champ. How are you today, Tyrone? Hey, Michael. How are you doing? And hello to all of my friends north of the border. Yeah. Canadian friends. Hope everybody's well. Yeah, we're, uh, we're uh, very eager to see how the Super Bowl plays out in two weeks. Uh, two weeks between the championship round and the Super Bowl. Is that way too much? No, uh, no, you know, I think it is not. Uh, I think the NFL uh, has looked at it in two different aspects. Um, uh, for those who follow the history of the NFL, uh, it used to be where they had only one week 
one week to prepare. And I think they kind of noticed that teams were getting blown out, you know. So having two weeks to prepare, uh, not only does it give teams an opportunity to get injuries healed, get your star players back on the field, because let's face it, that's what people come to see, right? They come to see their favorite player. But if your favorite player is injured, uh, say like Mahomes, okay, this two weeks going to give him an opportunity to heal uh, as close to 100% as possible, which you're never 100% once that ball kicks off to start the season. But it gives them an opportunity. It gives the Eagles an opportunity. So this way they put a great product on the field. The fans are excited. And on the other aspect of it, uh, it's a whole week of, of festivities uh, that gives the fans an opportunity to engage, uh, give people, the fans, time to make uh, uh, travel uh, uh, accommodations, and also some money opportunities with promotions and people get opportunity to sell products. So I think it's a win-win for the fans, uh, the league, and the players to have this two weeks. Now, back when you played, you played, what, in a couple of the You won both you were in, or were you in more than two? Uh, no, uh, Super Bowl 38 and Super Bowl 39 back to back, which are the hardest, which is the hardest thing to do because mm-hmm. it's just, you know, people, teams already, you know, looking forward to playing you the previous year. And you got to have a different mindset when you win the Super Bowl and trying to win it again. Ask the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, yeah. Won the Super Bowl and whatever mindset they had after winning that Super Bowl, it did not work this year. Yeah. Talk about, uh, and we'll get to the Super Bowl in a second. Talk about, uh, now, I've discussed it on the show earlier and we'll get your thoughts, but however they got there, five AFC championship games in a row and they're going to their third Super Bowl in four years. Talk about just what a feat that is for Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs. You know, be honest with you, you know, I think Andy Reid is one of the top uh, coaches in the NFL. I never played for Andy Reid, but knowing the qualities of a great coach, uh, I played for Belichick. I played for Mike Shanahan, Don Capers. I think those are great coaches. Uh, but all coaches have great, great characteristics. And one of the great characteristics uh, about Andy Reid, and if anybody's seen the State Farm commercial, you know what I'm talking about. He seems to be like a very fun-loving guy, a guy who is a player's coach, who cares about the coach, the players, but also understands that we have to work. You know, there's that fine line between I'm going to be your buddy, but at the same time I'm your coach. So I think anybody who plays who plays for him currently or has played for him would definitely identify that, yeah, he is a player's coach. And, you know, really the other aspect about the Kansas City Chiefs, if we really look at it, if it had not been for the New England Patriots uh, kind of knocking them off a couple of times, we could have been talking about the Kansas City Chiefs just like we talked about the Buffalo Bills and the Denver Broncos and uh, the Minnesota Vikings, those teams that went to four straight Super Bowls. Now, whether the Chiefs would have had an opportunity to win four Super Bowls, we don't know. But um, they were a great team uh, several years ago, and Andy Reid still got those boys uh, humming, uh, just like Hank Strand would say. Just keep trickling the ball down the field. Hmm. Yeah. For, yeah, yeah, former KC coach and announcer Hank Stram. So, 
you can't take anything away from what Patrick Mahomes did on one leg. Travis Kelsey in there. They had three receivers down, rookies in the secondary. Uh, but that was one of the worst officiated NFL big-time games that I've seen in a long time. I can't remember a worse officiated game with everything on the line. How did you feel about that? Now, now you could say, well, Kansas City won the game. The refs didn't win the game for Cincinnati. But I don't know, man. If I'm a Bengals fan, which I'm not, although I was cheering for them yesterday. If I'm a Bengals fan, I'm, a, I'm irate after watching that game. Yeah, and I think the real big uh, raid, if there was a raid or a riot <laughs> or being just upset, it would probably be the last uh, the last play where the uh, uh, linebacker for the Cincinnati Bengals uh, hustling, trying to make a play, and Patrick Mahone goes out of bounds and they get that extra 15 yards. I think if there's a crucial play, that was a crucial play. And really, when you go back and look at that play, uh, Pat, I think – I think what made it look so bad was when Patrick Mahone tripped up on the ground or the feet of the player that made it look like the player just pushed him down. But really, when you go back and you look at it, and I looked at that play, yeah. uh, he did extend his arms, but not enough to push him down. And I just think because Patrick Mahone tripped, I believe, over the player's foot or Patrick Mahone's foot, got caught in the ground because he was getting close to the sideline to where all those heaters and benches were, and he's trying to now catch his balance so he don't run into anything. And I think that made it look as bad. And I don't think it was really a bad well, play. Well, you know, uh, you so know I t- think that was the one everybody was Tyrone, you've been in the heat of battle. We're talking about a playoff game, 70,000 people in full throat, games on the line, Super Bowl, they're hanging in front of you. I don't care unless the guy gives Mahomes a forearm shiver to the head or really smokes him out of bounds. you got to let that play go. That that was embarrassing, and even more embarrassing, or just as embarrassing, a blatant holding call on the left tackle of Kansas City to start the play. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I even said again, going back to that last play with Kansas City with um, uh, Mahomes, I said to myself, uh, the flag kind of came out late a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, and I said, no, no, he can't throw the flag. I know he's not going to – nobody's going to throw a flag. And all of a sudden, I saw that uh, yellow hanky come in from the left side of my television. I'm like, oh, my God. No, they didn't, man. I'm like, like you said, Michael, if, you know, situations like that, unless it's something blatantly just a foul – you got to let them play, man. Let them play. And, you know, because I'm pretty sure Kansas City got away with a lot of plays that they should have been penalized on just as well as the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm-hmm. But at this point here, you take it out of the, ref, the ref's hands. And if it's not something that's detrimental to the game, to the players, to the fans, you let it go. Let it go. So I automatically thought I automatically thought of you, Tyrone, for this instance. Joseph Fasai, number fifty eight, is the guy that pushed him out of bounds. Okay, and I saw the clip when he went off the field in the tunnel. One of his uh, fellow teammates was yelling at him, "Why'd you push the effing quarterback?" or whatever he said. Okay, but how would Tyrone Poole, who's into mentoring and helping people out, how would you handle that as a teammate? Because I didn't see a lot of guys go around him when he's sitting on the bench. This is a twenty two year old young guy in the league like he wasn't drafted that long ago and uh, still uh, trying to find his way in the game uh, how would you help as a teammate uh, to kind of mentor a guy like that well I, I, I tell you what three things I'll say okay number one once you get into that league you are uh, a you are responsible okay you are responsible um, 
Uh, number two, uh, I think uh, the great thing I like about Bill Belichick is that uh, he always coached situational plays. And that was a situational play. That was a situational play. Uh, you know you're, the, the quarterback, you know Patrick Mahomes is not going to try to run you over. He's not going to try to get no more yards. He's headed straight to the sideline. Let him go. It's almost like, you know how like in basketball when somebody's setting a pick and they may get there too late, they just hold their hands up, just stand in place. You don't try to enforce the pick, you know, the pick and roll, whatever the pick may be. So in that situation there, you know the quarterback is going out of bounds. Let him go. I understand you hustling. You hustling. We appreciate that. But in a situation, that is, you got to understand what's happening, okay? Mm-hmm. And, uh, again, just hope that they learn from it. But I do know when you make a mistake, the third thing is when you make a mistake on the field, players, they already kind of heated, so they kind of stay away from you. If you ever notice, whether it's, whether it's in CFL football or the NFL or any sport, where there's a team effort being done, and you make a mistake. Not too many people are going to come around you. I don't care if you're a quarterback, you throw an interception, a crucial point, guys stay away from you because they're like, okay, if I go over there right now, I'll probably say something. But in that situation there, this is AFC Championship. This is what we're playing for. This is what we started the season for. We've got to be smarter. We're going to come back with more with Tyrone Poole, the two-time Super Bowl champ, joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline for his regular Monday segment, talking the championship round as we head to the Super Bowl here on the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. This Day in Sports History, brought to you by Capital Ford Lincoln on the corner of Rochdale and Pasqua. January 30th, 1983. John Riggins rushes for a Super Bowl record 166 yards on 38 carries to spark the Washington Redskins to a come-from-behind 27-17 victory over the Miami Dolphins. For Riggins, the game's MVP, it's his fourth consecutive 100-yard rushing game during the playoffs, also a record. It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Ah, yes. Welcome back to the Sports Cage. Michael Ball here along with Sean Kleisinger. We'll get to Tyrone Poole in a second. Trade in the NHL. Vancouver Canucks have traded Captain Bo Horvat to the New York Islanders in exchange for forward Anthony Beauvillier prospect Atu Ratu and a conditional first-round pick in 2023. Now, he's a rental because Bo Horvat, the Canucks captain, hasn't signed a contract. But he's going to the Islanders, who are run by Lou Lamorello. Two interesting things here. Uh, they don't know what to do in the NHL All-Star game now because he's traded. He was a member of the Pacific Division. Now he has to go over to the other side. So they oh. got to juggle that. Big major problem. Also, also, if I was Horvat, I would refuse to shave. Because Lou Lamorello likes clean-shaven guys. What's he going to do? Bench oh, you? He, he likes just the New York Yankee approach. Yeah, huh? he does. Yeah, absolutely. George yeah. Let's head out and talk with uh, Tyrone Poole. Hey, did Belichick have any weird rules you had to adhere to like that? Doing what do you mean? Like doing any anything? Like yeah, like like the the Canucks, like Steinbrenner used to do with the Yankees. The the Islanders GM won't let his players have facial hair. Like they need to be shaven all the time. Was there any wacky rules that Belichick had for you guys? No, no. Uh, you know the great thing about Belichick, he just treated everyone like men. You know, if you act like a man and you respect yourself, he's going to respect you. Uh, the only thing that he required is just do. Your job. 
pretty simple, and it worked well, especially for you in back-to-back Super Bowl years. Um, <clears throat> now, listen, the NFC Championship game wasn't anything because, uh, as it's uh, proven now, Brock uh, Brock Purdy tore his uh, UC joint on his elbow, so he couldn't even throw the ball. Josh Johnson wasn't good to begin with, then got a concussion. So it really wasn't a fair assessment, I think. But they do have a good defense, a great defense. The Eagles ran for four touchdowns. We're early here, Tyrone, and we'll talk one more time before the Super Bowl. If you were forcing me to bet right now, I would say the Eagles buy a touchdown in the Super Bowl right now, today. Yeah, I I think, you know, right now the Eagles are going to have a slight edge. Um, You know, they basically, from the quarterback standpoint, we all know that Mahomes uh, would probably edge Jalen Hurts out. Definitely it's clear that the uh, Eagles' running game is better in the actual uh, Chiefs running game and wide receiver-wise. I think the Eagles have the, uh, the upside. But I think where it's going to really come down is going to be the play in the secondary. The play in the secondary. Uh, because you got two quarterbacks if Patrick Mahomes is healthy. You got two quarterbacks that they can run the RPO. They can, you know, scramble. So the key going to be the defensive end keeping the quarterback in the pocket and the Big tackles, the middle of that defensive line pushing the pocket, and the defensive backs going to have to be able to stay on their coverage. So if we're betting and going off of that alone, uh, just a secondary, I got to go with the Eagles. But, you know, Andy Reid, I know he's going to be feeling emotional, man. We've seen him come up with all kind of trick plays. How would it be if he came up with some type of, type of trick play like he did against the Raiders when they all went around the circle and then they uh, exploded from – that and went up to the line of scrimmage. So I'm pretty sure Andy Reid, he is the uh, intangible. He's the X factor. And I think he's going to come up with something that's going to keep the Chiefs around. And if the Chiefs are around at the last point of the game, then I'm going to give the edge to the Chiefs. Hey, let me ask you. You're a veteran. You're a a man of high character. Probably a traditionalist when it comes to football. Um, I uh, found that very disrespectful when they did the merry-go-round and ran the play against the Raiders. I was actually, I found them to be a borderline cocky yesterday when Travis Kelsey twice, he once he lateraled it early in the game, and then he the next time they got the ball, he almost did it again. I find that too, uh, too cocky. They're getting too big for their britches. I, I don't like that. How about you? Well, hey, you know, it, 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 it's a two-way street. Now, if you are the opponent, then no, you don't like it. But if you are a fan of the Chiefs, then you're like, hey, they, I like it. they just showing, you know, just having fun out there. So it depends on which side of the coin, which side of, uh, of the line you're actually looking at it from. But I think, you know, dancing in the end zone, you know, that's just part of the game. You know, lively the game up. So, uh, no, it's traditional, and, you know, people come out, break the huddle, go up to the line of scrimmage. But, you know, that's what makes the CFL uh, football so so great. Uh, uh, you know, having that guy that can motion and then hit the attack the line of scrimmage, uh, you know, whether he's looking at the USFL or XFL, which is coming up, people want to see excitement. So traditionally, yes, that's cool, but still they got to go up to the line of scrimmage and the offensive line got to be the offensive line. The receivers got to be the receivers. The quarterback and running back going to be in their position. So, you know, all the pre-festivities, let's just have some fun. But at the end of the day, they got to line up, five on the line, tight end, make it six, 
Diddy got to have receivers, running back. They all going to be in that position. So I think they were just having fun and just saying, hey, you know, uh, we're going to make you think a little bit. It's a, you know what? I'll close with this. They do it on special teams. Special teams, before the kickoff, sometimes they will run around in a circle and then the kicker comes up to kick the ball. The reason why they're doing that is because offensively, the uh, offensive return team, they have number assignments, okay? Uh, whoever is in the fourth slot, that's who you block, okay? Mm-hmm. So if you can confuse them at the kick, then you give yourself an opportunity to make a big play. So I think that's what they were doing. They were just trying to confuse the alignment of the defense. They don't know where to, which side the tight end is going to go to or the receivers, and let's make them play us on the run instead of just setting up let them have time to figure out where we are so that's how I saw it alright and lastly Tyrone Poole uh, you do this thing called work your th- work that thing player uh, who's your work that thing player this weekend well you know what work that thing player is a work that thing team effort so work that thing goes to the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs so they work that thing uh, all season long to get themselves in a position to where one of those teams will walk away with that Lombardi trophy. So this week goes to the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles for getting to the Super Bowl 57. And the top number one seeds get there, which uh, you don't see that a lot of times. So it's going to be a great game, and we'll be able to tee it up next week with Tyrone Poole. Where can they find all your stuff, man? Uh, definitely, man, go to TyronePool38.com if you're looking for an informational, motivational, inspirational speaker. Hey, look up me on TyronePool38.com. If you're looking for supplements, you want to get your body in shape, your mind, body, soul, spirit. I got supplements, work that thing supplements, and I got a great book, Ultimate Success in the Game of Life. All can be found at tyronepool 38 and each of those books are autographed, so it's a book and it's an autograph. Thanks for your time, Tyrone. We'll talk to you next week, okay, my friend? Thank you, Michael. Appreciate you. Tyrone Poole joining us on the Western Pizza Hotline as he does each Monday. Coming up tomorrow, we got lots of great guests, including a chat with Matt Berlin, the U of A goalie who got in to play a couple of minutes in the NHL on the weekend for the Edmonton Oilers. Made a blocker save, got the team jacket after for the best player of the game. Cool story. We'll hear from him. And much, much more coming up on the Sports Cage tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. Check it out in podcast form wherever you get your podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Andrew Sherrod Limited. Today's Sports Cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. 620 CKRM. First period, Al Rollins is in goal for Toronto, and Gordon Howe came in over the blue line, and he snapped those big hands of his, and Rollins turned and fished the puck out of the net. And my dad turned to me and looked down at me, and he said, Robert, when you can shoot the puck like that, you can play in this league. Well, it was just eight short years later, I was playing against Gordon Howe, and Ted Lindsay had come from Detroit along with Glenn Hall, and I was playing with Glenn and and, and Teddy against one Gordon Howe. I don't know whether a lot of people know, but uh, I went over to Europe with one Edward Shack in 1959, and he was my left winger. At that time, they didn't realize that I wasn't smart enough to be a centerman. I was playing center at that time, and Eddie Litzenberger and Eddie and I played on a line, and in about 22 or three games, I scored 50-plus goals 
playing with with this man and if and to let everyone know Eddie played on I think about five different teams in the National Hockey League and scored 20 or more goals for each of those teams and that was back when 20 goals meant something that was the yardstick back then if you could score 20 goals you were something Bobby, like I didn't care about goals. I wanted to be the entertainer. I, I was called the entertainer of the century, and that was more to me than scoring. I think there was anyone that enjoyed it more than Eddie on and off the ice. On the ice, Bobby, on the ice was just getting ready for off the ice. Bobby was the one with the hook stick, and when Bobby would let it go, he let it go from center, and the, the, the goaltenders were just, where is it going to go? Right? And, and I say to Bobby, I said, Bobby, can I have one of your sticks? Go ahead from there. Oh, Bobby. my God. We're, we're in Chicago, our dressing room was down in the bowels of the old Chicago stadium. 22 steps, as a matter of fact, up to the ice level and Eddie I believe was with Buffalo at that time and we were on the same our dressing rooms were on the same level but from one corner of the rink to the other and Eddie would always come over uh, when we were fixing our sticks and he wanted me always to fix him a stick and I'd take one of my great Northlands with a great hook in it and I would fix it just so for him and Eddie would take it and he'd lay on it and he'd say oh yeah I think I'm well I why should I tell you his problem it felt so good and and he would take that stick and he would sometimes beat us with it and I know one night and he'll remember this net got stepped on they were stitching the net and Eddie was going up there I was playing with with uh, Goyette Phil Goyette one of the slickest centermen and Eddie was going up the ice forcing the play forcing the play hollering for it I said Eddie the next time you get out on the ice I don't want to see you coming out of your end until Phil Goyette starts up over your blue line with the puck do you understand? Yes, Bobby. Yes, Bobby. So now it's about three shifts later, and the puck goes in our end, thrown back into Buffalo's end, and it goes from the left corner defenseman behind the net to the right and up the field Goyette circling in center. Now I'm looking for Mr. Shaq to be breezing down the left side. And I don't mean breezing. I mean just all outright blowing it because no one could skate like Eddie Shack. I'm looking all over the ice. I don't see him back in his own end. I look across the ice, and he's just now going back behind his own net. And Phil Goyette now is up nearly to the red line. I said, God, he remembered what I said, but he's never going to make it. Well, Phil Goyette was so... <laughs> particular with the puck he gave it to Dougie Jarrett who was on the right side and he gave it to Dougie and took it away and D D Dougie moved into the inside into the middle more over towards Pierre he was playing with Pierre Pallot and now Eddie's behind the net and the ice chips are flying and he's coming and his hair and jersey they're sticking out behind him and now Phil gives it to Dougie Jarrett again and takes it away and Dougie Jarrett moves another six feet into the middle and now Eddie is at his blue line and now the red line and now he's starting Phil he's just hollering and he goes by our bench and everything shudders 
and in the second holler, Goyette gave it to Dougie Jarrett, pulled it away from him. Dougie put his weight on the inside skate, and Phil just flipped the puck over so it landed flat and slid just inside our blue line. Eddie Shack grabbed that biscuit inside our blue line and, of course, went around Dougie Jarrett like he was an outside toilet and went in on Tony Esposito and pulled and fired a backhand past Tony. Was going so fast, he hit the boards over in the corner. The Buffalo Sabres went over to congratulate him. He burst through three Sabres and knocked them on their rear ends and starts heading for our bench. Now I said, oh, now I'm in trouble. Because I knew who he was looking for, and he was going up and down the bench like this, and he finally sees me. And he came right over, full speed, put the brakes on. The ice chips flew all over our bench, all over me. And he said, Bobby, it worked. It worked. 